you know, we've all done it. We're human. We're going to make mistakes a million times a day. And, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever it is that you consider a bad habit or a bad way to respond to things, like, you know, it's all right. It's It's a learning process. That was Heather Lounsbury, and this is episode 125 of the Rich Roll Podcast. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey, everybody. I'm Rich Roll, ultra-endurance athlete, best-selling author, wellness evangelist, lifestyle entrepreneur, husband, and father of four. Welcome to my show, where each week... I sit down with the best and the brightest, the most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in health, wellness, fitness, sports, nutrition, the arts, and entrepreneurship to help you discover, uncover, unlock, and unleash your best, most authentic self. Thank you for listening to the show. Thanks for subscribing to the show on iTunes. Thank you for spreading the word on all your various social media networks. Thank you for subscribing to my newsletter. Thank you for clicking through the Amazon banner ad at richworld.com for all your Amazon purchases. We all get it. Sometimes the news can really wear you down. That's why Wildcard, a new podcast from NPR, feels like a solution. It's an interview show that gives a special deck of cards to a whole bunch of fascinating guests, all in the hopes of sorting out what makes life meaningful. It's part game show, part existential deep dive, all party game. Wildcard comes out every Thursday from NPR. Listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics, and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. I've been rocking On's high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor-fit, built-to-move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Brain FM. You know that thing when you have a bunch of intense work that you just have to do, but the mind doesn't really want to do it? You're telling it, come on, focus, but it keeps getting distracted or agitated by nonsense, and you go through this painful sort of mini war to rein it in, to settle it down, and just concentrate on the thing. Wouldn't it be great if there was something that would ease or eliminate this process? I don't know, like something you put in your brain through your ears? That would be great. 
And the good news is that it does exist. It's called Brain.fm, which is this sonic platform that leverages science to create tunes specifically crafted to optimize brain performance for a specific task. Tunes that contain patterns that shift your brain state with something even more effective than binaural beats called neural entrainment so that you can more easily focus on that thing or lure you into the sleep that persistently eludes you. Personally, I notice it the most when I sit down to write. Typically, this experience floods me with anxiety and a near lethal dose of the big R resistance that Stephen Pressfield talks about. But now I pop on the headphones, I dial up brain.fm, click the focus feature, And the process becomes, I mean, look, writing is still hard, but now it really is so much easier to get into that state of flow and stay there. So if you're ready to unlock your focus and productivity, I've got a special offer just for you. I asked them to give my listeners 30 days free and you can get it at brain.fm slash richroll. I bet you'll love it just as much as I do. All right, so I want to open this week's podcast with a quote. It's a quote by the inventor, Thomas Edison, and it goes like this. The doctor of the future will give no medicine, but will interest her or his patients in the care of the human frame, in a proper diet, and in the cause and prevention of the disease. That's right, Mr. Edison, you prophetic inventor genius guy, you. Indeed, the future really needs to move, and I'm seeing that it increasingly is moving towards this holistic approach to healing, medicine that is functional, medicine that is all-encompassing, that is less reductive, less diagnose and prescribe, and more preventive. And I really think that as we enter into 2015, it's time that we all start thinking about how our personal approach to our own healing and health in general can be less reactive, less reductive, less diagnosed, prescribed, less pharmaceutical-based, and instead, more forward-thinking, more holistic, more functional, more preventive. So I thought it would be cool and fun to kickstart that conversation with today's guest, Heather Lounsbury. She's cool, and she is my first diet and nutrition-oriented guest of 2015. So who is she? Well, Heather is an expert and someone with higher degrees in Chinese medicine. She is a plant-based nutritionist. She's an acupuncturist, an herbalist, a Reiki master. And she's the author of a recently published book called Fix Your Mood with Food. And she deals with digestive disorders, pain management, mental health, addiction issues. And we have a really cool, really comprehensive conversation that touches on all of Heather's aforementioned specialties, as well as things like the priority of progress over perfection and the role and function of certain herbs on physiological functions, which is really cool and fascinating. We talk about food allergies. We talk about GMOs, omega-3s, supplementation, social barriers to healthy eating, acupuncture and its relationship to uh, addiction, and also Ayurvedic medicine. Basically tons of good stuff. So let's go talk to her. I'm really intrigued by everything you do. I love your message. And, and what's so interesting about 
uh, your work and your advocacy is that it's it's diversified. Like you're doing lots of different things. You're you're an expert in Chinese medicine. You're a nutritionist. You're an acupuncturist. All of these things, of course, orbit around you know this idea of wellness. But the intersection of those makes you you're makes you powerful. Oh, right? thank you. Can you can serve your patients, your clients, in 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 many different ways. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I chose this form of medicine is I can, I feel like I can help more people this way by getting to the root cause of their issues and not just mm-hmm. putting a Band-Aid. And there's so much when it comes to Chinese medicine, there's so many options on how to treat people since it's over 5,000 years old. Right. And I, and I want to get into what Chinese medicine is exactly, because I think okay. there's, there's such a mystique surrounding it. But one of the things that I always talk about and say is that wellness, true wellness, you know, isn't just what's on your plate. It's encompasses everything. It's a, it's a mind, body, spirit equation. It's trying to balance all of these things and have them all work harmoniously. And if you're just focused on nutrition at the, you know, without looking at the other aspects of what it means to be mentally well, physically well, then you're really only addressing one aspect of that equation. Absolutely. And I do get comments, um, especially from vegans who are a whole food plant-based, like, oh, well, I eat the right foods. Everything is just automatically going to fall into place. And I wish, mm-hmm. I really wish it was that easy. But the world we live in today, the amount of pressure we're under, the amount of toxins we're exposed to, the amount we have to work, right. um, all those things, food, unfortunately, isn't always enough. Yeah. If you're super stressed out at your job and you you have some depression and you're not exercising, you can, you know, eat salad all day as long as you want, but you know, how healthy are you really? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, uh, so this is great. So explain to me exactly, like, how would you define Chinese medicine? What is it exactly? Like it just, you know, it conjures (laughs) up images of, you know, guys with Fu Manchus and brewing (laughs) herbs in some basement somewhere, (laughs) you know? Well, that does happen. I know. It is part of it. <laughs> that that idea exists for a reason. Yes. Well, the medicine, as I said before, is over 5,000 years old. And it incorporates so many aspects of health. Um, we uh, Acupuncture is a big part of it. Herbs are a big part of it. But also your spiritual growth is part of it. Like all the acupuncture points have mm-hmm. a spiritual name to them. Because originally, you know, 5,000 years ago, men in caves were the ones that kind of figured out the map to all of this. So they were on this spiritual path on how to remove suffering from the world and in our own personal lives. Mm -hmm. So it's got a very deep part of it, but you can also go to an acupuncturist who only treats pain and pops a few needles in, takes them out a half an hour later, and that can be effective as well. But I personally like to do it from more of an emotional, spiritual um, aspect. Mm -hmm. And... The herbs, yes, you can cook herbs in a basement, and they they're really stinky. Yeah, um, and but you can do them. I do everything in powdered form, so they still don't taste so great. But you just mix them in with a little bit of warm water and chug it down. And Chinese medicine basically can treat anything you can think of. So whether it's headaches, allergies, blood pressure issues, cancer, Alzheimer's, and stress, PMS, and anything in between, it mm-hmm. can help with. So it's really this intersection of acupuncture, which is kind of its own thing. It's a subset of Chinese medicine, right? Yes. And then being an herbalist. Yes. That's the other aspect of it. And then 
So is there another kind of prong there? Well, there's so many um, because the medicine's so old. There's some, some Tai Chi is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And Qigong is a p- big part of it. For your listeners who don't know what that is, that's a form of um, sort of physical uh, exercise that has a spiritual component to it, similar to Tai Chi, but it's also energy work. Mm-hmm. Um, gua Sha, which is... Never oh, heard of that. Yes. <laughs> gua Sha. That sounds like some kind of Hungarian goulash or something. <laughs> gua Sha, traditionally you would use a deer antler, and I don't. I use a porcelain spoon, of course, to um, rub certain points to either release pain or emotional uh, issues because each point has an emotional release to it. And cupping, mm-hmm. a lot of people have heard of cupping now because right. celebs have been shown with cupping bruises and it doesn't hurt at all. Um, and that can be done for treating pain, releasing fevers, and also releasing um, repressed emotions. So how did, how did these guys 5,000 years ago figure out these, these points on the body that could be, you know, sort of activated to alleviate, you know, pain symptoms or help balance out your, your, you know, biology? Like how yep. did, how did this all come about? I mean, it's fascinating because it's so mysterious. Like you, you put a pin in your, you know, under your skin in one place and, you know, I don't know, your shoulder, and then suddenly your Achilles heel feels better. You know, like, <laughs> like it just seems, it seems like bonkers, right? Yes. How did they, how did they, how did they even begin to figure this stuff out? Well, the the main theory is that it was divinely inspired. As I said before, it was it was kind mm. of the norm for people to meditate in caves for decades. And so that's one theory that it's divinely inspired. Like they just right. were given this information it was from the transmuted from the yes, galaxy, yes, right from the higher power. <laughs> yes, and also a lot of the points are set up based on um, the stars. So you could use astronomy to correlate the different points. Oh, that's amazing! Yes. Um, How did that work? I honestly, I, I don't have an answer because it was. I wasn't. I mean, I think I might have been around during that time, but mm-hmm. in, your pa- in a past <laughs> in life. a past life, yeah. yes. Well, I would imagine you probably were. Yes, I know. I was definitely a doctor Chinese medicine in past life. So uh-huh. um, that's a fact. That that is a hundred percent fact. Worked, okay. <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna verge into conspiracy theories about how actually the human uh, the human population began with uh, some kind of alien invasion, right? <laughs> Because this is such advanced technology. How yes. could they figure this out with the stars? And the... Well, it's, well, it is pretty, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, it could be alien, aliens gave us the information for sure. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I find so amazing is they did know before we even know what nerves were, what certain points did. Because sometimes there is a direct correlation. I'd like to point out, and it's also in my book, on each side of the spine, there's points for specific organs and specific emotions. And mm-hmm. we now know exactly where that point is. The nerve comes out of the spine to go into the liver, the lungs, the kidneys, the spleen. Mm-hmm. And there's no way they could have known that right. thousands of years ago. So there's no... There's no real solid concrete answer because um, back then everything was passed down orally. Mm-hmm. There was no written text and the first text was about 2,500 years ago. So we don't have uh, any kind of Yeah, that's amazing history. that they were able to figure... I mean, they must have just been sticking pins in people like crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what does this do? I know. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense when you say, oh yeah, if you're, if you're hitting this nerve that's coming right off the spine and we know, you know... We know that that leads to you know this organ or or what yeah. have you that 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 obviously makes more sense. But what is it about 
What is it about sticking the the needle in and sort of poking this nerve that has the impact, the desired impact? Like, how does that work? Well, we know now with studies that have been done using MRIs in certain points that like, there's a point on the foot by the big toe that helps with vision. And when you needle that point, it shows up in MRIs, the part of the brain lights up that's in con- control mm-hmm. of our eyes. So why that happens, we still don't have an answer. Um, so even like the best scientists... Don't know. Don't know yet. Well, there's so many studies being done in China that's that hasn't been translated yet. So mm. um, they might have more answers than we have. But as you mentioned, the shoulder, there's a point on the calf that helps shoulder pain. Mm-hmm. Why? We, we still don't have an answer to it. But I've done it on hundreds of people and everyone feels a difference. Right. And it, it's this idea of what's the, what is the term? Like meridians or something like yes. that? Like, yeah. So explain that. Well, there's 12 main channels um, that our, ener- our body's energy flows throughout the body. And where it's called chi. Many of your listeners have probably have heard right. that term. And chi is our body's energy and it flows in specific patterns and also goes into each of the organs to energize them and help them do whatever their purpose is. So um, each point is on a meridian. Well, most of them, because you can do points that are off meridians, and that's we'll try mm-hmm. to get into that. But say the point most people know is the point, um, it's sort of the fatty part of your hand by the thumb. Mm-hmm. And people are like, oh, I heard that helps with pain. And yes, that, that does help with pain, but also helps with stress, also helps with constipation. And what it does is moves the chi that's stuck at that point and spreads out and goes through each of the channels to get things moving again. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, chi being energy, but you know, the chi doesn't show up on the MRI, right? This is a yeah. this is sort of a theoretical concept that is proven out just through practicing and and sort of evaluating the results. Well, there are tests being done now that shows there are specific patterns to our body's energy flows and they haven't called it chi, but we are we are making improvements on proving it because that's that's definitely something that with Chinese medicine, oh, there's no proof that it works. But obviously, I've seen it in my own clinic day after day, but there's lots of studies out there that prove that it does work. But mm-hmm. I, I feel like it wouldn't have stuck around for this long if it wasn't helping right, people. Right. It's definitely stood the test of time. Yeah. Um, so the concept essentially is that your body has, you have these systems of chi and there's blockages. And the idea behind optimal health is to make sure that all the chi is flowing properly and is in balance with all of the meridians, right? Is that yeah. accurate? Yes, like, you actually right, said it perfectly. Yeah. You said okay. it better than I could. <laughs> uh-huh. So, But everybody's walking around. Nobody's in perfect balance, right? Everybody's no got blockages or there's an imbalance of this system versus that system. Yeah, even newborns, because I have my youngest patient uh, was six days old and the mother brought uh, her child in because it was having di- a lot of digestive issues. So even, you know, as soon as you come out of the womb, you can have imbalances because things you're going to have genetically passed on to you and any stressors the mother was going through during the pregnancy. And Mm -hmm. also depending on what food she was eating, what toxins she was exposed to. So even fresh out of the fresh out of the womb, there's going to be some imbalances, but we can through our lifestyle changes, through diet, exercise, and whatever kind of form of meditation or de-stressing that you do, acupuncture can all get things realigned. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So when a patient comes into your clinic, uh, you know, generally they're going to tell you what's off or wrong or what they want to address. But let's say 
they didn't, and they just laid down, and you had to evaluate the body. Could you ascertain where those imbalances are, or are you relying yes. on them to? Oh, I don't rely you know. on them at all, actually. So how? Yeah, right. <laughs> the unreliable narrator, yeah, as you would say in screenwriting. Yes. Um, so uh, there's several ways. Just watching a person walk, I can sense if there's any imbalances or any pain. Um, their face, because you can read a lot on the face and what's going on with someone with their organs. And I t take the pulse. And in Chinese medicine, there's nine pulses on each wrist. So Nine pulses? Yes, it's very, very different. I can spend up to five minutes feeling uh, a person's pulses. And each, each organ has its own separate pulse. And then there's different depths and qualities and strengths. And I mean, I could spend your whole podcast explaining it because it's taken me, mm -hmm. I've been licensed now for 13 years. And I've been seeing patients for 15. Like I still am learning because it's such an exact science to it. Um, but I can tell if someone has digestive issues, if they're about to get sick, if they have problems with their prostate, if they're anemic. Um, and with pregnancy, this is a fun one. I can usually tell um, what the sex of the baby is in the no first way. trimester. Yes. Really? Yeah. Do you keep amazing. track of that? Yes. So what's, your, what's your record? I'm 85%, I think, <laughs> accurate, um, which isn't bad. And so I actually, what is the, So how do you determine that? Like, what is the signal? Well, there's um, one pulse that represents the kidneys and the uterus on women. And depending on if the left side is stronger or the right side is stronger, then that tells me if it's a boy or a girl. Because... So the less, it's just yin, there's yin on the left side and yang on the right side. Mm -hmm. So if it's, it's not yang, it's yang. Yang, okay. it's yang. No, no. <laughs> so left side would be female, and right side would be uh, male, mm -hmm. if that one's stronger. And it's interesting, one time I had a patient come to me and I said, oh, you're definitely having a girl. Two weeks later, she came back and she goes, do you still think I'm having a girl? She had um, had an ultrasound. I said, no, it actually feels like a boy now. She goes, it's, I'm having a boy. Wow. <laughs> so That's amazing. I, yes. Um, that's, that's incredible. All right. So I'm going to make you read my pulse okay. when we're done here. But just looking at my face, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? <laughs> well, take off your glasses. Can yeah. you do that for me? Uh -huh. This is um, good podcast. Yes. I would say some adrenal fatigue. Mm, that's definitely true. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe some issues with either anxiety or sleep. Uh, yes. Okay. Those are the two that really stand out for me. It's been a stressful point. couple of weeks. Yes. I'm a little overextended. Yes. So good, okay. good diagnosis. Thank Excellent. you. And I also look at a t the tongue. You can see what each organ is doing from the tongue. Uh -huh. So that's a great way to diagnose. Um, depending, we're supposed to have a nice pink tongue with a thin white coat, no cracks, no jagged edges, no spots. And I've, I've only seen, I think out of the probably 4,000 tongues I've seen, I've maybe seen two that were perfect looking. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what that says yeah. about the state of things. But. They're just better people, I guess, <laughs> right? So when someone comes into your clinic, I mean, what is the typical issue? Like what, what comes up? You know, that, what do you see that people are suffering from? Well, I'm seeing everyone is stressed out, which is very sad. Um, I've... It's so rare that someone comes in, like, oh, yeah, everything's easy. My job's great. My personal life's great. I'm all, all these things are just working together. So much everyone is really stressed out. So stress is a big one that I work on. Um, a lot of people are having digestive issues. Um, part of that is food allergies. Mm -hmm. Part of that is eating dairy. Um, and part of that is the overexposure to antibiotics. 
and, and genetically modified foods. Mm-hmm. So it's become, in, just in the 15 years I've been seeing patients, more and more people are coming in with digestive complaints. Interesting. Um, yeah, I, you know, when I was younger, I don't remember anybody talking about things like ulcerative, ulcerative, ulcerative colitis, ulcerative ulcerative colitis. colitis yes. and, you know, issues like this. And it seems like there's a lot of people um, that are suffering from this. I think, you know, from, from what I understand, a lot of people, this is a result of taking antibiotics throughout their life and their gut is just shot. Like yes. the, the, the microbiome in their gut is just upside down and it's difficult for it. Once it passes a certain point of no return, yeah, uh, pretty you much. can take as many probiotics as you want, <laughs> but it becomes a very difficult chronic condition yeah. for people. Well, I've definitely, I've, I've, I've cured people. I hate to say that word, but I've cured people with ulcerative colitis um, through herbs, acupuncture, and dietary changes. Mm-hmm. So it can be done. And it's not just taking antibiotics. It's antibiotics in animal foods because 80% of antibiotic use in the U.S. is animal agriculture. Right. So anytime someone eats, has a glass of milk or has a burger that's not organic, um, they're ingesting antibiotics. So Anyone who isn't eating plant-based is obviously getting exposed at least once a day, if not mm-hmm. several times a day, to antibiotics. So mm-hmm. that's a big part of the problem. Yeah, that's that's amazing. And that kind of brings up the other aspect of what you do, which is being a nutritionist. Yes. Right? A plant-based nutritionist. Yes. So where did you, I mean, where did all this begin for you? Well, it's kind of a fun story. Uh, when I was in ninth grade, I decided to give up meat and I even asked my mom's permission. I was such a good little kid. So I said, Mom, can I, can I try being vegetarian for the summer? And she goes, well, as long as you cook your food, sure. And mm-hmm. I totally did it wrong. This was also in the 80s. So there was not as much support as we have today. And there was no internet. So I basically just cut out meat. But I was still having Doritos. I was still having Lucky Charms for breakfast. And just a horrible, horrible diet. Um, and that made me anemic. And we we got the diagnosis that I was anemic from my doctor. And he said, mm-hmm. well, just start eating meat again. And I knew that was never going to be an option for me. So I started so the studying reason, nutrition. The reason was just compassion it was purely, for the It animal. was purely ethical. Yes. Right. Uh-huh. Um, at the time, I just started doing, <clears throat> excuse me, more research um, on it and found out the environmental impact, the health impact and, you know, workers and how they're treated and, and factory farms. So it just wasn't an option for me. So anyway, I started studying nutrition for my own health. Um, I loved it so much that I started studying herbs. I got books on what supplements did what. And I worked at a food co-op throughout college. Oh, wow. And also worked at a vegetarian restaurant as a chef in Germany um, for a while and loved it so much. So I'm like, well, I should be doing this for a living. Mm-hmm. So, and eventually it took me quite a while to give up dairy, but finally did. You did. <laughs> <laughs> and my, and my leather shoes. That's the tough one. <laughs> Getting, I mean, for, I mean, my personal experience was when I stopped eating meat, it, it wasn't that rough of a transition, yep. but, but kicking the dairy was a lot more difficult. Yes. It's so highly addictive. Mm-hmm. And you, you know, we have the association to eating certain meals and like, you know, I want my ice cream as a treat and mm-hmm. mom used to make this for me or whatever it is. So there's also the emotional component, but right. it's associated with love and comfort. Yes. And exactly. it's also in everything, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's amazing. Yes. I went to, uh, I'm ha- I have some like dental problems that I'm sorting out right now. Um, and, uh, I have like, uh, 
root degeneration. Like I have a lot of exposed roots in my teeth and, Ow. and uh, they're very sensitive to cold and things like that. So the dentist gave me this stuff to put on like, oh, this will desensitize. You know, you rub this stuff in, it fills the pores and, and it will help you. And it's like all made out of milk casein, yes. you know, the whole thing. I was like, oh, I can't use it. Like there's milk in this like dental treatment, you know, like it's in, <laughs> and it just made me realize like, you know, really you have to be vigilant when you start cutting dairy out because you realize so many of the foods that you're eating, you don't even know. Contain. Yeah, it's it's hidden. Because I, I remember when I first gave up meat and I was definitely curious about veganism because um, I, I joined PETA because PETA's from Maryland and that's mm-hmm. where I'm from. And oh, we're in Maryland. I'm from College Park. Ah, I'm from yes. Bethesda. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh, we might have crossed paths at we some point. We might have. Well, <laughs> my, my time in College Park was spent in bars and getting pulled over for DUIs. <laughs> so, I was not at the, working at the co-op in, in, in College Park when I was in high school. Uh, well, people uh, were drinking at the co-op too, believe me. Yeah. Um, and where was I going with this? Uh, I don't know. Dairy? Oh, dairy. Yeah. So I started, I was curious about switching to 100% plant-based. So I looked into the cheeses that were available and there was, I think, only one cheese at the time that was non-dairy, but it still Mm -hmm. had casein in it. So like, what's what's the point if you're trying to not eat dairy, but it still has casein in it? So Mm -hmm. it took, I don't remember when the first actual vegan cheese came out, but it didn't exist that I could find back then. Right. I mean, it was slim pickings. Yes. You know, I remember my mom would take me to the natural market in Bethesda and it was just like a, it was terrible. You know, it was just <laughs> fit, like big vats filled with like, you know, terrible tasting granola. And, yeah. you know, it was everything that you would imagine the stereotype to be. But yeah. that was, you know, 1982 or something like that. Yeah. To imagine, you know, what's available now at Whole Foods. It's, you know, it's kind of extraordinary. Yeah. Well, I, I tell people now that are younger or just new to eating plant-based, like there was one soy milk one brand of soy milk, one flavor of soy milk, and that mm-hmm. was it. There was no almond milk. There was no hemp milk. There was no rice milk. There was there was it, and it used to just come in a powder in a can that you'd mixed with water, and it was awful. I'm sure it tasted <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, the flip side of that, though, is that it's never been easier to be a junk food vegan, and yes. I think there's a, there's a psychological thing that takes place where, oh, you know, I'm not eating meat anymore, so automatically I'm healthy, but... You know, you can just be pigging out on all of these sort of, yeah. you know, meat and dairy free alternatives and convince yourself, you know, it's probably some of them are healthier than others, but really it's easy to trick yourself into thinking you're you're eating a better diet when yeah. in truth, you know, you very well may not be. Absolutely. And eating things as close to the ground as possible is my, my motto. And obviously... Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% perfect with that all the time. I definitely have my my junk occasionally, but mm-hmm. uh, as close to the ground as possible is how you want to eat your food. Right. So so you you studied Chinese medicine, but then you also separately studied, uh, nutrition? studied nutrition? Yeah. Well, I took some nutrition courses as part of my master's degree in Chinese medicine. So that's where I got the... Because mm-hmm. chi- I also do Chinese nutrition, which hopefully we can talk about a little bit today. Um, and then I did... I think probably over 3,000 hours of continuing education in nutrition. I haven't actually gotten an official license for it, but I've mm-hmm. just had that be my continuing education over the last 15 years. So that's where it all comes from. Interesting. Yeah, I find that uh, with the exception of, you know, a, a certain select few nutritionists, people like Andy Bellotti or Juliana Hever, yeah. most of the nutritionists uh, that I come across are very resistant to a plant-based diet. 
And I've my theory is that it's it's a result of whatever curriculum they learned in their you know when they were schooled in this. Oh yeah, and it's just like medical doctors. They think medicine and surgery are it, the only answer, and sometimes that is the case, of course. But they that's all they know, mm-hmm. so it, it makes sense. Um, right, and then and then uh, you know I've started to like kind of pull the covers and learn more about how the whole world of, you know, professional nutrition (laughs) works. And uh, I love following people like Andy uh, online and people like Michelle Simon, because they're constantly shining a light on the extent to which big food companies are integrated into uh, nutrition education. You know, I think even even, uh, yesterday, I retweeted something that Andy had tweeted about it was a picture of some nutrition conference and Coca-Cola had a huge stand, you know, we're here to educate (laughs) you and look at all our amazing options and, and, you know, how these, these professional organizations are actually funded by companies like McDonald's. Oh yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. No wonder the misinformation's out there. And I can tell you, I, I have some patients who are on um, play for the Dodgers and the Lakers and so forth and what they're given to eat. And these these men are worth millions upon millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. And you'd think that they would want to feed their machine the best way possible. But they're given basically meat, white rice and some overcooked vegetable if they're lucky and Gatorade and soda mm-hmm. and water. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And that's the, usually their options if they're going to eat whatever's given to them when they're training. Right, right, right. Yeah. I mean, I talked about that on the on the podcast with Brendan Brazier because he's worked with a bunch of professional sports organizations kind of coming in and looking at what the athletes are doing and how it can be improved. And, you know, in some cases they're very open to it. You know, they understand, especially athletes that are kind of in the twilight of the career who are looking to extend their professional, you know, career a few years longer, they're open to it. But there's a lot of resistance too, because it's like, what, you're telling me to do something different than everyone else is telling me? And that how powerful the marketing messages are from the Gatorades of the world saying, yeah. this is what you need to do to refuel or, or what have you. And to say, no, that's actually junk is flying in the face of, you know, every billboard, every commercial, every sort of, you know, message that you see throughout your day multiple times that's just playing on your subconscious constantly since you were a young child. Yeah, that's they've done such an amazing job. I joke that Mad Men, the men of Mad Men would be so proud of what we've right. made <laughs> yeah. of marketing today. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. everywhere. You it's know, a- high schools are getting... You know, they're getting all these these messages about what to eat, too, and, you know, in elementary schools even. And it's horrible that they're starting these consumers off so they'll be addicted for life. Yeah, of course. And I've said this before on the podcast, but, you know, you go into high schools and you see Got Milk posters hanging on the walls of the gym. And, you know, and you're like, what? Like this, this you know, why is, why is this, uh, you know, organization allowed to advertise in a public school and you realize like, oh, they're just getting to kids very early. And it's that intersection of government and giant commerce where, you know, it goes to, uh, it it goes all the way to the top to the K Street lobbyists and what's going on in the legislation on Capitol Hill that allows these things to, you know, happen and including the food pyramid or the the food plate. Oh, yeah. Called all of these things. And I remember when I was in high school, I would get teased because I would have to bring my own food. And one teacher came over to me. I think he was Seventh-day Adventist. He goes, you're a vegetarian, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. And I wasn't bringing – I did discover hummus, I think, in my junior year. 
and I've been hooked on it ever since. When you were in high school? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it must have been really radical to be eating that way, you know, yeah. at that time. Absolutely. And I, even just, you know, the suburbs of Washington, D.C., you would think that it would have been a little more mainstream because there's so much political activism there. But uh, I think yeah, I was really. one of a couple vegetarians in my whole high school mm-hmm. and there was 2,000 of us or mm-hmm. something. I had one friend growing up, Eric Melanie, and he was vegetarian. Uh, and I just remember th- just thinking like, wow, he's so extreme. And like, you know, he was the <laughs> only kid that anybody knew, but he was like very firm in his conviction and felt very strongly about it. And his family supported him. And they had all kinds of animals at their house and rabbits and stuff like that. Nice. And, but I just remember thinking like how odd, you know, instead of like, you know, look around today and it really has changed a lot, you know, for the better, the openness of people to, you know, sort of consider this way of eating has never been more mainstream. So that's exciting. It's really exciting. It's got to be fun for you to see all of this, you know, you've been doing this for so long to now kind of have the world, you know, embracing it in a new and different way. It's definitely, well, it's great because people are more open to it with the patients that I treat. Um, Family members are more open and just to see, you know, the fact that they're Whole Foods does even exist now. And of course, they have plenty of foods that aren't that great for you at Mm -hmm. Whole Foods. But the fact that it exists and they're humongous and they're always busy. I've never been in a Whole Foods that wasn't packed full of people. Mm -hmm. And I was, you know, it's fine that I went through that period of being the weirdo. But uh, it's definitely nice and refreshing to be like, oh, (laughs) Heather knew what she was talking about. (laughs) <laughs> right. So so back to how you kind of treat your patients, you have the acupuncture aspect of it. Let's talk about the herbs a little bit because this okay. is where it gets mysterious, even more <laughs> mysterious than sticking needles in your body. Well, Chinese herbs, um, I, of course, only use plants um, to treat my patients, but there are a few animal products. Most of them are illegal that are part of the Chinese pharmacy. So if you go to an acupuncturist who wants to give you herbs, they can't give you bare bile or strange things like that, but there is the... Bare possi- bile. Yes. There's, there's some really <laughs> weird ones, aren't there? Yes, deer antler is a yeah. is another one. Um, oak, cicada yeah. shells. Oak antler velvet. I think it's I think it's shown to boost testosterone, right? Yeah, it gets the... the exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a popular one. It's very popular, unfortunately, but you can do plant-based herbs that help just as much. There's an herb called horny goat weed is the direct translation. And for is any it appropriately ma- named? Yes, it is. <laughs> so, all right. This is a Viagra alternative? Yes, it's I a presume. Viagra alternative. And how I learned about it in school was uh, most of my teachers were Chinese. And my teacher at the time, she goes, uh, sheep eat it and get very busy. Was her It was her way of describing it. So the same happens for humans. And that-, that works on women too. So if you have a low libido, um, it can help women too. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's one. What are some of the other common herbs that you work with? Well, I use um, rhubarb roots on a lot of my patients, and that's a mini detoxifier and also helps um, with constipation. So that's a big one. And I use um, astragalus root. I'm trying to think of ones that people would actually know. Um, And that helps the immune system. And it also has a special effect where it helps all the herbs that are in a formula go to each of the organs. So it sends this message to them Mm -hmm. to not just go to one place to actually feed the whole body. Like an adaptogen. Yes, exactly. Uh So those are just a few off the top of my head. Uh, Ginger. Ginger is great for immune system. It helps with upset stomachs. 
It helps with parasites. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one. Um, turmeric. Um, I use um, in formulas a lot for people who have some kind of muscle or joint pain because it's great for inflammation. It's an, Yeah, it's a very powerful antioxidant, anti-inflammatory. Yes. It does, right? Yeah, turmeric does a lot of things, but traditionally in China they used it um, for actually shoulder pain was its main focus. And then, so I cook with turmeric if you're having any shoulder issues, people listening. Um, so, but it's, it's meant mainly in the Chinese pharmacy for treating pain. Right. I mean, I use turmeric a lot. Like it's great for recovering from yes. training. It's amazing. It's very, very powerful. And I just saw uh, an article, I think it was published in NBCI. It was a study that said turmeric uh, was more effective at treating depression than Prozac. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so I don't know who did the study or anything Okay, I'm going like to have that, to look but, into um, that. Yeah, I'll send you the link Okay, to that. thank you. But it goes to your point, really, which is, I mean, essentially what's behind everything that you do is this idea of self-regulation, right? Yes. Of, of achieving health, uh, a balanced, you know, wellness, not through pharmaceuticals, uh, but through a holistic approach. Yeah, and getting to the root cause and not just fixing the symptoms. Um, because if you just deal with the symptoms, the issue will come back or it will come back in other ways. Mm-hmm. So there, it's really important to get to why you're having the problems that you are, and then it won't come back. Right. And then just maintaining health after that. Because I always recommend patients coming to me every month or so just to maintain health so they don't get sick again. Yeah, I mean, we don't talk enough about the fact that, you know, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's it's got to be extremely high of the medications most commonly prescribed to people for whatever is ailing them really don't do anything about getting at addressing the cause yes. of what's going on. They're, they're just alleviating symptoms. So you're basically told you have to be on this the rest of your life. And it just perpetuates the problem. And, yep. and, it, and it sort of takes even talking about the problem off the table to you know, completely. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the easiest, most illustrative example is Viagra, right? Yeah. Like if you, if you're having difficulty getting an erection, that's because you have some, you probably have an arterial blockage or yeah. it's an early indicator. It's like a canary in the coal mine for heart disease. So if you just take Viagra and think that you've dealt with the problem, problem solved, you're not looking at what could be a much bigger problem down the line. It's like nature's way of telling you like, hey, wake up, there's something going on something here. You something very need to, wrong. You, need to, you, know, <laughs> you can't keep living the way that you're living. This is going to get worse. You take Viagra and then you don't think about it anymore. Yeah, and and the, then you get sicker. Then you get sicker. And also when you have um, issues with plaque buildup, you're at high risk for a heart attack when taking Viagra is the last thing you would want to do is if you're high risk for heart disease or have heart disease. And I've definitely seen several male patients over the years that were prescribed Viagra with with no thought in mind as to the consequences of taking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also can be an so emotional... increase your blood pressure? Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-huh, includes, and your heart rate, um, obviously. Right. Um, and also there can be an emotional component to impotence. So if you're not dealing with, with whatever that is, that can haunt you in other ways as well, like lead to more depression, insomnia, and even more intense illnesses. Like there's, uh, in Chinese medicine, it's believed if you uh, suppress your uh, frustration and anger to a certain point, you can develop Alzheimer's. Mm, interesting. So take care of the problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's uh, I mean, we could sit here and list out, here are all the herbs and this is what they do. But yeah. I think it takes someone with, you know, your level of experience to really know, because it's not, 
it's not just one thing. You have to address everything at once and find a way to make sure that everything is in balance. Like it's that um, – it's it's sort of like what uh, T. Colin Campbell was talking about in his book Whole, like this very um, – what's the term that I'm looking for? When you just identify one aspect of what's wrong with mm-hmm. you and treat that in isolation yes. uh, as a, w- without really looking at the implications, you know, on everything else. Yeah, you definitely need to treat the whole body. And that's with herbal formulas. I put anywhere from 10 to 20 herbs in a formula. So I'm not just treating the one main issue that my patient is concerned with. I can treat several things at once. So say someone comes into me um, with chronic headaches and they also have issues with digestion and fatigue um, and maybe a history of panic attacks. I mm-hmm. can address all of those in one formula. Mm-hmm. Interesting. What would you do for someone suffering from migraines? That's my my wife has had for, you know, for a long time, like has tried so many different things. Um, well, talking about herbs that she, because it's not herbs that you would be able to just buy <clears throat> over the over the counter. So there's um, herbs. There's one called Chuan Shang that's really great mm. for migraines. Um, I use that in all my uh, formulas of people with migraines. And then depending on when they come, how often they come, where, the quality of the pain, there's so much to headaches and migraines. So it's not just, okay, I have migraines. I'm going to give everyone the exact right. same thing. So. Um, I can't, sorry, without no, knowing right. more about I'll just, her. I'll have to send her your way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good answer, right? Because you can't, you can't know. Like, it's not like, oh, take this and problem solved. Yeah. I mean, we're in this culture where, you know, we want to just biohack. Like, oh, here's the miracle thing you've never heard of that's going to solve that problem. And yep. you don't have to think about it anymore. And, you know, nature doesn't work that way. No, and right? I, not at all. And I can say, like, the common colds, I get a lot of people saying, what should I take for a cold? I'm like, well, there's, like, over a hundred versions of a cold, mm-hmm. how it started, how long you've had it, what your symptoms are now, the progression of symptoms. So there's there's so much more to it. And obviously you could go to Whole Foods and say, what, what herbs, what supplement should I take for a cold? And it might work for you, but it might, and it might not, but it might not be that, the best and ideal formula for you. Right. So. What about food allergies? What kind of food allergies do you see people coming in with and how do you determine what they're allergic to, well, or um, even that that exists. Yes. Well, um, pretty much everyone's allergic to dairy and just doesn't want to look at it. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and it's amazing how many patients have come to me with these symptoms and have gone to every specialist for whatever it's manif- however it's manifesting. So it doesn't have to come up as digestive. You can have skin issues. You can have depression from food allergies. I have one patient, she's featured in my book, um, who had panic attacks directly connected to her food allergies. Mm. Um, but usually I'll say, especially if it's someone new to what I do and new to me, I'll say, you know what, just for a week, don't eat gluten or dairy and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many people are allergic to gluten now. I if you're not allergic to it, I'm okay with people having some some wheat mm-hmm. um, and just see. And most of the time they come back to me, their next treatment, say, I'm feeling better. Um, but you can have a lot more allergies than that. So um, there are great blood tests to see specifically right. what you're allergic to. And there's ones that focus more on vegetarian foods. So you're not, you know, spending, you still, they'll still test for, for animal products, but they'll they'll also do things like chickpeas and um, flax seeds and stuff like that that a regular 
blood test won't Right, do. right, right. So what are, like if somebody's listening to this and they're eating dairy or maybe they're resistant to the idea of giving up dairy, I mean, what are some of the symptoms that that manifest with somebody who is having an allergy to dairy? Um, headaches, on the mostly on the forehead, but it can be an overall headache, but food allergies usually manifest on the forehead if you're going to get headaches from mm -hmm. them. Um, any digestive issues, so it could be going to the bathroom too much or not enough, um, gas and bloating, fatigue after meals, um, acne is another big one, but mm -hmm. also eczema and psoriasis. Yeah, I've all... heard tons of people say they gave up dairy and suddenly this lifelong problem that they had with whatever kind of rash they get on their skin or acne or whatever yep. just goes away. And if you have chronic congestion from hay fever, that can go away because dairy promotes mucus. Um, and what else am I thinking? And, and just a low immune system. So if you are prone to catching colds and um, dairy might be a big part of it, but, and dairy also causes inflammation. So if you have joint pain, um, it might be from dairy. Interesting. And then with gluten, I mean, gluten's, you know, sort of, I guess, not really, but semi-controversial. It seems like the pendulum swings, is swinging, you yeah. know, all over the place these days. Like, oh, you know, gluten is the worst thing ever. And then, oh, it's a bunch of nonsense. All this gluten <laughs> thing is overblown. You know, how do you find sense in all of this? Well, I think a big part of it is um, wheat is so genetically modified at this mm -hmm. point that we're not, it's not really digestible. It's not meant for human consumption. So that's a huge part of why people are having such a strong response to gluten. Um, but it's also, we're exposed to it in everything. It's kind of like dairies hidden everything. Right. Gluten is in everything. And if you, even if something's really good for you, if you eat it every single day and sometimes several times a day, you can get sick from it. So even kale, you, Kale's not something right. that might upset some people on here, but even kale. <laughs> <laughs> you should eat things in season. I yes. mean, we weren't like, you know, if you want to be like, quote unquote, paleo about yeah. it, like how did our ancestors eat? Yeah. Uh, you know, they didn't, you know, they weren't like eating a certain kind of produce 365 days out of the year. Yeah, exactly. They were eating when it was in season. It gives the body like some seasonal, you know, ability to adapt and eat different things, yeah. right? It's very important to eat seasonally as much as possible. I know people who live in colder climates, it's it's not as easy. Um, but I always say if you can't get, get fresh produce, um, if you're in a colder climate, then frozen's the next best option. Obviously, fresh right. is always the best. And um, But yeah, we're in Southern California, we're really spoiled. We can get food. Right, right, The right. only thing I eat that's not local on a regular basis is bananas. That's the mm -hmm. one thing that you can't really find locally grown bananas. Right, so. right. <laughs> well, the, the idea of, of frozen fruit is interesting. I mean, do you know Jeff Novick? Yes. Yeah, so Jeff's big on frozen fruit and even frozen vegetables because yep. this idea is that that uh, it's frozen right after it's picked, so it retains its freshness. So yeah. if you go to the farmer's market or you buy your produce at Whole Foods or whatever, uh, it's still been, you know, how many days has it been sitting around since it was picked? Yeah, exactly. And, and actually, it seems like crazy, like, oh, frozen, I'm, I'm not going to eat frozen vegetables, I'm going to get fresh. <laughs> but actually, maybe it's fresher. Yeah. It seems weird, like I still struggle with that, like I would much rather eat it, you know, from the farmer's market. Yeah. Frozen, well, again, we, we're we're lucky here. We can do that. Um, when I've traveled, like I was in New York recently and I was talking about eating locally grown food, like, well, 
in December, there's not really many options, like maybe mm -hmm. some apples and some squash, but that's it. So the next best option, um, I wouldn't rely on it all the time necessarily, but it's definitely better than getting something flown from across the world because it's, it's lost almost all its nutrient right, right, value right. by then. Frozen organic, though. Organic, right? always organic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which brings, <laughs> up, which brings up the next thing, which is GMOs, another controversial you know, subject for a lot of people. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I think it's, it, is the, it, it is most prominent in our wheat products. Yes. You know, that's, and I really do see, I mean, you know, nobody was talking about gluten and wheat sensitivity when we were kids. And no. now, you know, it really is a thing. And like just experimenting on myself, I feel better when I don't eat gluten, when yeah. I don't eat wheat. And like my research is done. Like I, what else do I really need to know about this? Exactly. And this is not your grand, grandmother's wheat. No, you know, maybe if you can find some kind of heirloom wheat that yeah. is really pure and grown in a different way and see if that has an impact on you. Well, but there's einkorn is the traditional wheat or more traditional wheat, but that's hard to find. And it's definitely mm. not going to have the texture that we've become accustomed to. So it's an einkorn. I've never yes. heard of that. How do you spell that? E-I-N. K-O-R-N. Huh. Where would you find that? Um, you can sometimes get pastas and cereals, um, but actual einkorn that hasn't been processed at all, I haven't been able to find it, but maybe online uh -huh. there's a way to get it. Um, Tastes terrible. Yeah, it's not, it does not have the texture <laughs> yeah. that we're used to. That's it's not, the thing. It's like, not going to taste like Wonder Bread, right? No. Yeah. Um, and I, I actually, it's interesting you mentioned your scene, how you felt... Uh, how you feel when you've had uh, wheat. I, when I was doing my residency, I had a patient who was French and she would go back to France several times a year. And she said to me like, Heather, I don't understand. When I go home, I'm having baguettes, I'm having croissants and I'm fine. But here I have mm. one bite of bread and I'm miserable. And that sort of a light bulb went off in that moment. Like, wow, because the quality of, of food in Europe is, is way different and way better than what we have for the most part. Mm -hmm. So. So if somebody comes to you and says, you know, what's the deal with GMOs? What's the response? Um, I say stay away from them as much as humanly possible. Unfortunately, it's hidden in a lot of things. And they've done a very good job as, of not being allowed to label foods genetically mm -hmm. modified. And hopefully that will change. Because um, there's now studies besides the digestive issues and the food allergy issues that can come with genetically modified foods. There's studies showing that... Um, there's a cancer increase in cancer and tumor growth when you eat genetically modified foods. So mm -hmm. yeah, that I think to they me, did these, these experiments with mice that were growing tumors like crazy. Yeah, right? humongous tumors. So right, um, you know, and it's not always an option. And if you are on a budget or live in a part of the world or country that it's hard to get a lot of organic food then just, I say, do your best. Um, but wheat, soy, and corn seem to be the most um, commonly genetically modified foods. Mm -hmm. So if you can at least do those, um, you can buy things in bulk. You can buy things online that will be cheaper than going to Whole Foods for sure. That brings up soy, which is another kind of within the, the sort of plant-based, you know, universe of nutritionists. I found it to be kind of divisive. There's a camp of people that say, I don't know why everyone's so worried about soy. Soy's totally fine. And another camp that's saying, yeah, you should really avoid soy. And so what I've always kind of, how I've navigated that is I do eat soy, but I make sure it's non-GMO and preferably fermented. So like tempeh and things like that. 
Um, is that, I mean, what is your take on that? Well, soy, if it's not genetically modified and you're not allergic to it, is good for you. Um, but definitely stay away from the highly processed soy products that are out there, like doing a lot of the fake meats. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a side note, people, if the only way you're going to give up meat is by eating the mock meats, go for it because you will trans- slowly transition. Because mm-hmm. believe me, when I first started eating plant-based, the junk that I used to consume, and that just doesn't sound good anymore. Um, but soy is safe. Non-GMO soy Non-GMO. is totally safe. Yes, because I always use the example that Japan has the lowest breast cancer rates in the world, and they eat soy sometimes every single meal. Mm-hmm. But they eat natto. Yes, but they also have meat. <laughs> I wouldn't, I'm not Explain a natto. Explain what natto is, <laughs> is to people who, don't, who might not know. <laughs> Well, it's a, it's a ferment. I've actually never had it. So it's the fermented. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I know Dr. Mercola is a big fan. He doesn't yeah. like the plant-based thing, but he likes natto. Um, so yeah, stay, miso soup, tempeh, um, some tofu would be fine. Just don't become overly dependent because again, if you eat too much of it, you can develop an allergy and soy is hidden in everything as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it does not cause cancer and it does not affect a boy's masculinity or future masculinity. I yeah, that's the, the thing that the phytoestrogens yes. that everyone talks about that can you know lead to you know men developing man boobs. And, yes, and screwing up women's menstrual cycles and things like that. Not that's, at all. That's not true. No, and I always I jokingly use this example, but there wouldn't be over a billion Chinese people if if it at all affected your testosterone levels or your masculinity because. Mm-hmm. They're eating soy every single day, too, in China. So, um, And there was the big controversy with soy that I can't remember how many years ago that's now been around, like, oh, phytoestrogens, evil, evil. But that was all funded by the dairy industry. So whenever something doesn't sound right, like soy is really bad for you, then find out who's actually behind behind the the message. Yeah, interesting. Well, that should always be the case, right? (laughs) Um, And and usually when it's uh, a study saying stay away from a certain, you know, natural food, there's probably a big food, you know, industry lobby behind that. Oh, yeah. You know, if it doesn't make sense. Well, because of uh, the failure of Prop 37 to pass uh, here in California, there's no obligation for food manufacturers to label foods uh, to indicate whether they have GMO in them or not. So if you're looking at a product, whether it's soy or otherwise, the only way to really know whether it's GMO-free is whether it has the certified organic label on it. Absolutely. Right? And hopefully they're being honest with the not using genetically modified products. Yeah. And that's a leap of faith too, because this whole uh, idea of organic and that and, and what gets that label and what doesn't is become highly politicized yeah. and it's become a sliding scale. It's degenerated from what it used to be where big food companies, they know if they can put that label on their food, they're going to you know have a certain perception in the marketplace or what have you. Or if and it says natural... Well, I that means love, nothing. Yeah, 100% when, <laughs> natural, you know. <laughs> or when uh, when Jiffy Peanut Butter says no cholesterol on it, like, yeah, well, peanuts don't have cholesterol. So. Right, right. <laughs> well, I could say gluten-free too, right? You know, it's like it's meaningless. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and it's, it's, uh, it's disappointing because there's so much obfuscation that the average consumer is left completely bewildered and confused, which is exactly what these companies want. The more confused people are, the better, because that I think that uh, keeps the paralysis entrenched and, yeah. and prevents people from making better choices. 
but the extent to which uh, you know the marketing and the labels on these food products will go to convince you that something is healthy when it's not is is quite extraordinary. It is, and I don't um, don't uh, get any magazines or uh, subscribe to any magazines. And if I watch TV, I TiVo, so I don't see commercials. But mm-hmm. every once in a while. You know, I'm stuck at the nail salon. I'm like, oh my god, the ad for this food! And I laugh out loud. Uh-huh. People are like, what the? What is yeah, going yeah, out yeah. with that woman? Because it's such a big lie. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, and Je- Jeff Novick again. He has a great presentation where he kind of the gist of it is: don't believe anything on the front side of a yeah. food product label. Only you know, only read the nutrition facts panel on the back. And he teaches people about how to really uh, read that and understand what it's saying. Uh, and he uses this great example of uh, Pam, you know, the the, the cooking the spray. spray. Yeah. And I think I, I'm going to botch it because I don't remember exactly what he said, but it's something like it says zero percent. It says zero zero percent fat or, or fat free on the front, but it's just oil. Yeah. Like it's a hundred percent fat. <laughs> but if you uh, they're allowed to say that because if you make the serving size so small that, uh, you know, the nutrient content is below a certain threshold, you can say 0%. Yeah. So the serving size for Pam, if you look on the back of it on the nutri- Nutrition Facts panel, is like, you know, it's like a microgram or, you know, you wouldn't, if you if you tapped the spray top, you know, yeah. you couldn't even tap it quick enough to, to get to that, that, little. That, that little amount. But people are walking around going, oh, this is, there's no fat in this, fat-free, and they're spraying their, you know, whatever. It's, yeah. it's complete insanity. Well, it's the same thing with ingredients and, and pre-made and processed foods. If it's under a certain percentage, they don't even need to list the ingredient. Right. So that's one of the problems with getting food. That's, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm guilty of it too, but getting things that are pre-made, you really don't know what you're eating. And on the flip side of that, it can contain sort of traces of certain things like calcium or what have you, mm-hmm. just enough so that on the front they can boast calcium. that, yeah. it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's good for your, whatever. It has all these <laughs> these minerals in it, but you look at the amount and you're like, this is negligible. This yeah. is nothing, right? Yeah, it wouldn't actually help you in mm-hmm. any way. And then the, the consequences of whatever else is in that food, it's not worth it. Like those calcium chocolate things that are out. I've never actually had one, but family I've seen that you can get chocolates that are a calcium supplement. So people think, oh, I'm getting my calcium. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sugar-filled, highly processed, lots of dairy um, calcium supplement. So right. it's like, just eat your greens. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care especially because, unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support, and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. 
Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life and recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. So if when a patient comes to you and you're espousing the, the health benefits of eating plant-based, uh, I would imagine the common kind of concerns that come up are, where am I going to get my protein? What about calcium, especially with women? Yes. Uh, and anemia probably, yeah. right? Are those the typical? Those are the big ones. And protein's always first. And I'm sure you've heard it even more uh, yeah. than I have How at this point. How many hours do we have to that? <laughs> um, But I, I do say because... Um, patients are referred to me. I usually just go by referral basis now. Mm -hmm. I don't just get people finding me online anymore. Um, they usually know that I'm plant-based, but I don't say I won't see you again if you don't do this. I mean, I've had probably a hundred patients or more go, um, plant-based over the years. So that to me is a great accomplishment, but mm -hmm. all of my patients are eating more produce. That's one thing I can say that they've all at least cut back on their animal product intake. Mm -hmm. So I say, okay, I'm going to give you these suggestions. And obviously, if you really feel like you need to add salmon to that, that's a personal choice. I'm not going to re recommend it. I'm giving you plenty of ideas for getting your healthy fats and your protein without having to do salmon. Um, but, you know, people people are, you know, they're attached to food emotionally, but they are still scared, even though they know I know what I'm talking about. Right. So. Yeah, the um, salmon comes from this argument about omega-3s, right? Mm -hmm. You got to get your omega-3s. You got to get your omega-3s. And, you know, fish oil is super important. You got to yeah. eat your salmon. So what is the response to that? Well, I recommend if you are really concerned, you can do a supplement of um, there's algae sources for omega-3s. And there's also flax, borage, and primrose oil. I know there's um, probably some of your followers are against doing oils. 
Um, but you can do hemp seeds, flax seeds on their own, um, kale, walnuts, seaweed, because actually seaweed is where seafood gets its omega-3s from. It mm-hmm. doesn't just automatically have it. And most seafood is high in cholesterol, so that's something that is ignored. I can't tell you how many times patients come in with a list of food suggestions from their doctor. I'm like, well, there's... There's a lot of cholesterol in here and your shrimp is, and there's people with heart disease issues and so, and cancer history and diabetes. So it's like you're recommending shrimp um, to someone who should be lessening their cholesterol levels. Right. So you're just getting your omega-3 lower on the food chain. Yes. Right. And you're getting it without, uh, you know, the toxins that accumulate in, you know, the fatty tissue of the salmon and all those other things. I mean, I think Dr. Michael Greger did a great video about fish oil and even, you know, fish oils that are labeled toxin-free and they tested them and realized that actually, (laughs) even though they said (laughs) toxin-free, they were like rife with toxins in them. So why not get the omega-3 before it ends up in the fish and just get it directly? Yeah, and I I remember um, this was 95 um, when I was just starting to look into going to acupuncture school and looking at what schools were out there and everything. I had um, a nutritionist tell me, and I wasn't eating seafood at that point, so it wasn't an issue for me. He said at the time something like 60% of fish caught off the coast of California have tumors but they just cut the tumors off and still serve it to people so i can only imagine mm. almost 20 years later those numbers have gone up because our oceans are are even more toxic and with fukushima the radiation levels that are right. in the pacific it's um it's just better to stay away from better it. to stay away yeah exactly and uh, I mean, maybe even that algae is, who knows? I mean, yeah. I don't know, you know, but all I know is that, you know, I make sure I put hemp seeds and flax seeds and kale and walnuts and almonds in my morning smoothie every day. And I'm, you're good uh, to go. I think I'm okay. You yeah. know, it's like, well, I can tell all you, these things seem to be like red herrings, you know, yeah. if you just eat a, you know, a couple simple things, make a couple simple changes to incorporate into your day. Like you don't have to worry about it. No, it's really easy to do. And I can tell you, I gave up seafood in 1987 um, and I last year I did a full nutrition panel to see like micronutrients, everything across the board, what my numbers were, and everything was fine. But my omega threes were well within healthy range. So for anyone who's thinking there's absolutely no way to do it, that's not true. And I don't even right. I don't even go crazy with making sure I'm getting omega threes. I'm not taking a supplement. This is just like I'm unsweetened hemp milk, um, kale and walnuts, and um, flax seeds in my smoothies sometimes so mm-hmm. it's not even because i don't actually like the taste that omega-3s get that because that's they sort of have that fishy taste mm-hmm. to them so i can't even do a lot of flax seeds because it tastes too fishy to me mm. so and i'm fine yeah you're fine you look fine <laughs> thank you you look radiant oh thanks um what about anemia and iron um, well, iron is actually better to get from plant sources because it's easier to metabolize than meat. I can tell you most of my female patients are a little bit anemic around their cycle, uh, no matter what their eating habits are. So if it's someone that eats red meat every day, there's, there's going to be some anemia. And then um, if you're plant-based around your cycle, there's a tendency to be a little anemic. But yeah, again, um, pe- women who come into me who have meat every meal can be anemic because their bodies just can't process it. So why not get Mm. it? Why not get it from great sources, get it from beans, get it from greens. Um, You don't, you don't need to eat beef to get all the iron you need, but that, that was the big thing for me when I, when I gave up meat is I just, 
gave up meat and that was it. Still had French fries and top ramen and right, right, right. all those yeah. things. Beat you, the junk food program. Doritos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, but there is a difference in that uh, the iron that comes from animal sources is heme. Yes, and then there's the non-heme. And then there's non-heme is the plant yeah. variety. Well, we so. plant-based eaters tend to get um, plenty of vitamin C unless they're total junk food vegans. And that's key to iron absorption. So just make sure if you're at all concerned, make sure you're getting some vitamin C in when you're um, eating or taking an iron supplement if you feel like you need to take one. And then my favorite iron supplement... The, the vitamin C binds to it and it helps with absorption. It helps right? with absorption. So if someone's at, at all concerned thinking like, oh, no, I'm, you know, I have a history of anemia. There's no way I can do this. Um, Flora Vital has a really great B-complex and iron supplement that's all plant-based and easy to absorb, doesn't cause constipation like most iron supplements do. So that's always an option. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I prefer you get it from your foods, but there are people out there, especially women, that anemia is just sort of a chronic condition for them, no matter what they're eating. So you can add a little bit of that every right. day. So what is your tip, your basic perspective on supplementation? Um, well, unfortunately, our, our soils are so depleted at this point, um, pretty much everyone needs to take some supplements. Um, and if you're having any health issues, at least temporarily taking supplements, I personally do B12. Um, I either as a B complex or sometimes I do B12 injections and mm-hmm. a probiotic. Um, and then if I feel run down, I might add some vitamin C, but I'm getting, you know, my, my diet is really balanced and I'm getting a lot of what I need. But um, I do talk about this in the book too, where some nutrients like in tomatoes, something like 60% less vitamin C than tomatoes had 50 years ago. So mm-hmm. even if you're eating all the right things, um, you're not necessarily getting what you need. And also stress inhibits your body's ability to absorb nutrients. Coffee is a big one that inhibits iron absorption by up to 60%. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the tannins in the in the yeah. coffee prevent iron. Yes. From, right, right. Look at you. And, and medication. So if even if you haven't taken medications in 20 years, there still can be some residual issues with your digestive tract, so it's hard to absorb nutrients. So um, irregular eating habits affects absorption, being dehydrated, like all these things And most of us in the mm-hmm. culture we live in today. Um, and again, if you're sick in any way or, or feeling run down, supplementation, at least temporarily, is key. Until you can get your chi balanced exactly. out, right? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think I, I take vitamin B12, uh, you know, as anybody who's on a plant-based diet should. Yeah. Uh, and that's a, that's a big argument that people raise to say, well, how can it be a healthy diet if you have to take vitamin B12 and it doesn't exist in the plant kingdom? But it's, it's what you said. I mean, the soils are depleted and yeah. a lot of the foods are not as nutrient dense as they once were, yeah. you know, as a, because of the way that we raise food yeah. to eat. And most people are walking around with some sort of imbalance or deficiency in something or another. Oh, and yeah. there are plenty of people that eat whatever diet and they're, and they're still vitamin <laughs> B12 deficient. Uh, and the reason we have to take vitamin B12 is because we, we I, th- I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it exists in the, the sort of microbes in the soil. Yeah, and, and they're gone now. And now the soil's so depleted that it's not really there anymore. Yeah. And it, to the extent that it is there, it gets washed off. And, you know, sort of when we used to just pull the vegetables out of our nutrient-rich soil back in the, back in the day, you know, <laughs> uh, 
it wasn't an issue, but yeah. now it is, no matter who you are or what you're eating. Well, and that's another thing with, um, besides <coughs> the soil depletion, we've become so obsessive compulsive about germs. So, and I get it now, our, our soils can be contaminated, so you have to scrub everything. So it used to be like you'd rinse off your carrot and just eat it. And now, like, you know, there's all these special soaps out there. It's terrible. And it's it's and, terrible. This is like not a good trend. Yeah. You know, it's... Who, uh, do you know who uh, Robin Chukan is? No. She's a doctor in Washington, D.C. She's fabulous. Really cool. Uh, and she's an expert on, on the microbiome. And her whole slogan is, uh, uh, what is it? Um, like, live clean, eat dirty or something like that. <laughs> you know, she's like, but she takes it to an extreme where she's like, I don't really even take showers. You know, wow. she's a beautiful woman. Yeah. She's, you know, totally put together. She's not a hippie or anything <laughs> like that. But her point is that we're in this, we're in this rinse washed, sanitized society where there's Purell everywhere you look. Yeah. And this idea is perpetuated that we need everything super clean. And this is making us sick. Yeah. It's preventing our immune systems from adapting to these environmental whatevers that allow our, our body to sort of, you know, uh, I don't know what's the word, adapt to them or, or sort of, you know. Yeah, it's building our immune system. Yeah, we're supposed them. to build our immune system by being exposed um, to bacteria and viruses and so forth. Like yeah. I, I had a patient this morning, he goes, you're going to be so mad at me, I got a flu shot. My, my father-in-law is an MD and he just brought them over for the whole family and I felt so pressured and like, yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> we're supposed to get sick, we're alive. Um, and that's part of the process. So if you have a strong immune system, you might get a little sick for a day or two and then you're fine. Like I, I share that I haven't, I haven't missed a day of work in like 16 years now from mm -hmm. a cold and people, people look at me like there's something wrong with me, but it's no, I have a really great immune system. Yeah. I, I never get sick. I mean, at once a year I start to feel something maybe coming on Yeah, and then... I just make sure I rest I rest a little bit more. I, you know, I up my nutrition. Uh, I take it easy on the training and it goes away right yep. away. Like I just, you know, I, we never get flu shots or we never do any of that. And, no. you know, I just, I think that we're really upside down on this whole thing. And I think the ultimate example of that is the overprescription of antibiotics for everything. And it just blasts your system. It just kills everything in your gut biome. And yep. you've got to like recover. How do you populate your gut with all of those micro, you know, organisms that we need to be healthy. These are our friends. They are our friends. So have your fermented foods, have your sauerkraut yes. and kimchi and mm -hmm. kombucha like I'm drinking. And if you feel like you need an extra kick doing some probiotics, um, there's plenty of plant sources. Yeah, there's this idea that it, that all pro probiotics are like acidophilus and you should eat your Greek yogurt and all that kind of thing. <laughs> but but there are, you know, many, many plant-based sources. So what, what kind of probiotics do you recommend? Well, um, if you're doing a supplement, um, I like yarrow and country life. But in foods, again, kombucha, you can get probiotics from sauerkraut and kimchi, Miso, tempeh, mm -hmm. those are all really great sources. And you can also make your own yogurt and kefir that's plant-based. So that's uh, the How do you do that? I've never done it. I'm too lazy. Really? <laughs> do you make your own kombucha? No, I'm so lazy with that stuff. I love to cook, but like friends of mine who are Martha Stewart's in the kitchen, like, uh -huh. I'm, like I would never make my own tofu. I just, 
I'll make my own broth. That's yeah. like the, the extent You're not of... like sprouting things in your house <laughs> and things like that. We do. We, we have some scobies. Oh, Julie's nice. been, we've been making our own kombucha, which is pretty Good cool. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, I would love to get to that point, but I also don't know every day my schedule is so different at this point. Eventually, maybe it'll normalize a yeah. little bit because I hate to waste food too. So like if I started the process and then... You know, oh my God, I've been away for two days. And so I just... I get it. Yeah. I get it. L- listen, this is all my wife. If it was up to me, you know, like who knows what would happen. It wouldn't be good though. You'd live off of smoothies? Uh, yeah, probably. <laughs> I would probably eat most of my meals out. Yeah. So when you go out, how do you, how do you, I think this is a big question with, because listen, this, the audience of this podcast is diverse. Like there's a lot of plant-based people that listen to it, but there's a lot of people that aren't. And I think a big fear that comes up is really social. Like they may be thinking, yeah, I get it. Like I'm sold on the health aspects of it, but, but getting over the kind of emotional and, and societal barriers is really a major block. Like how do I go to a business lunch and, and sort of navigate that and, and eat healthy without, without creating like a ruckus? Well, there's almost always a salad, um, at any restaurant, at least hopefully. And if you're at all concerned, um, making an impression like at a business lunch, eat something before, just always have snacks with you. Mm-hmm. That's important. So you're not hungry. And again, see if, you know, maybe even go talk to the waiter to the side. If you're worried about making some kind of stink, like, is there any way I could just get some steamed vegetables or something, you know, without people hearing it. But, um, when I travel, there's there's always salad, and now it's getting so popular to eat healthier and more plant-based foods. So hummus is usually an option somewhere. There's usually vegetables. You can't use the dip necessarily, but there's mm-hmm. usually some cut-up veggies at any kind of business affair. But again, eating before you go so you're not hungry. Right. And I always, yeah, I always have snacks with me. And that's one of the things when I fly, I get a little obsessive, like, what if there's a delay and I'm starving? Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) You have to prepare a little bit ahead of time for sure. And, And people, there will be some backlash at the beginning. I still... I get it less and less, but believe me, when I was younger, it was a constant, constant thing like, oh, look what Heather's having, or we can't have Heather over, or the holidays were a huge trigger, like the first Thanksgiving that I wasn't eating turkey. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, it was almost like, I don't know, I had said that my mother's cooking was horrible just because I wasn't eating it. Right. You know, that was, it was, an offense was taken, but it had nothing to do with her talents in the kitchen at all. So you just... I don't know, being being determined to stick with it and people will get used to it and they'll see that you're feeling better, looking better, having more energy and get them curious. Like now my family, when I go visit, I find out that they're eating at least vegetarian meals without me even being around, which would never have happened even mm-hmm. five years ago. So um, yeah, spring snacks. Yeah, it's That's tricky, uh, especially in the restaurant context and especially for men, yeah. you know, because men, because because it brings up issues of masculinity and all this other kind of stuff that that comes into play and it makes, you know, men feel self-conscious or what have you. So I would say kind of similar to what you say, like, you know, go approach the waiter. You you can excuse yourself from the table, go find the waiter and say, hey, man, can you just, they always want to help. It's not, not, it's, you you build it up to be this big thing in your mind and then you realize like it's kind of a non-issue because they can basically whip up something for you pretty easily and you don't have to make a big stink. Uh, but that is like when we kind of talk about the emotional landscape, it is kind of coming from a place of fear. Like you're afraid you don't want people to judge you or 
think differently of you and it's kind of a defensive position. Yeah. And I have one friend who very refreshingly kind of goes in the opposite, he has the opposite tact. He just goes, all right, here's what you're gonna do. Like he's just the waiter, you're like, you know, he's at lunch and there's a bunch of people there. He's like, I want you to get me the biggest bowl that you have. And I want you to take every vegetable that you have and just put it in there and like put some rice in there and just like make it huge. You know, he's like makes this big like theatrical production out of the whole thing. And he's like, basically what he's doing is he's like saying, I dare you to like, yeah. you know, come at me because he's he's owning it. That's you know so what I mean? sweet. He's what a good it, friend. Which is cool, yeah. you know, but I think not everyone's in that place. No, definitely you know? not. And it's, it can be really hard and challenging, especially at the beginning, but if just sticking, sticking to your guns. And I have found over the years, restaurants, obviously I'm not eating at uh, fast food places at all, but at a regular restaurant where they actually cook the food there and chop up the vegetables mm-hmm. there, they're more than willing to make you, even if it's grilled veggies, like there's, there's something that can be done right. always. So, um, and a lot of times salads, they're not much of an option because the dressings that are available. So I just say, can just bring me salad and I'll, and some lemon slices and I'll mm-hmm. just put lemon juice on it and like some pepper or something. So there's, um, but it's getting easier and easier. Like I, I, um, I remember back in the day, I would have to just always bring food everywhere I went, no matter what. And right. now it's just not, I know in LA we're spoiled, but I've seen enough other cities and towns to know that there's almost always an option. Yeah. I mean, and there's a lot of places where it's, it is challenging for sure. I, I think airports are a great litmus test and, yeah. and I'm seeing you know, like yourself, I know you've been traveling a lot and I have been too. Uh, even in the last year, I've seen changes in so many different airports. I mean, obviously in LA, at LAX and in the, in the American Airlines terminal, they have a real food daily, yeah. you know, which is amazing. You can get your green juice, you know, before you get on your plane. <laughs> That's a unique scenario. But uh, in plenty of airports, I've seen, you know, carousels where they have tons of like healthy you know, plant-based options, vegan options, yeah. like even in the takeaway, you know, the takeout little prepackaged stuff. Uh, and I think that that's a great arbiter of what's to come. Yeah, it's so, a really good sign because airports mm-hmm. definitely, you know, every type of person is using an airport, right? Right, that's yeah. right. It's the cross-section. <laughs> so the book is called Fix Your Mood with Food. So I want to talk about kind of the mental aspects of being healthy and um, you know, a big part of, of your book is really kind of taking a look at the over-medication of, of everybody to treat all of these uh, psychological disorders. I mean, what is it like 60 million Americans are suffering from some form mm-hmm. of, of mental disorder? And, you know, there's this panoply of, of prescribed medications that so many people are on all the way down to young children. And you are advocating a different approach to all of this. I am. Yeah, it's uh, scary when I was doing the research um, to get a publisher finding out that over $40 billion a year is spent in the U.S. just on anxiety, medications, and treatment. $40 billion yes. on anxiety. <laughs> just that. Well, anxiety is caused by lifestyle choice, yeah. really. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's I mean, a there's... byproduct of the way we live. It's well, a byproduct of the way you live, but also trauma. Um, it can be a huge trauma from when you were a child or something that seems innocuous um, that could trigger anxiety later on. Um, so again, dealing with the problem, because when you take these medications, for the most part, 
um, it's not getting to why you're depressed, why you're anxious, why you're having road rage. And if, if you're not fixing that, that's still boiling up in your system and can make mm-hmm. you sick in other ways. Like I said, it can eventually lead to Alzheimer's. And so the why I wrote the book is um, to dispel some diet myths, of course, and also just give people a way out. Like I don't need to be on Prozac the rest of my life mm-hmm. and all the side effects, like eighty over 80% of people taking these psychotropic medications have um, side effects. So that's pretty bad. I mean, you have right. fatigue, weight gain, low libido, skin issues, like it's just the, the list goes on and on. So why not actually use food to help you? Like if you have a major traumatic experience, I encourage getting some kind of other support besides what you eat, but it can definitely help. Um, and also a lot of times um, we are, we're depressed because we're low in nutrients. I think that I have haven't done enough on this mm-hmm. and I don't know if there's even studies out there to prove my theory but that that it's become such an em- epidemic um, depression that is because one of the one of the reasons is because our bodies are starving if we're eating the standard American diet our bodies are starving so the brain is going to start to respond too and not be able to produce neurotransmitters that we need to actually be happy and even keeled yeah, interesting. I mean, the the food is so nutrient poor that we're actually obese and starving. Yes. We're chronically starved and chronically overweight yeah. at the same time, which is just super bizarre. It's so sad. Yeah, if our, our, that's why people tend to overeat. Um, if they eat processed food, it's because the brain's still like, okay, I'm waiting. Where's where's my nutrients? Where's my yeah. nutrient? So give me more food, please. Mm-hmm. So it's a, a definitely a vicious cycle. So I go into the book. Um, about some nutrients. I don't go into every single one because that would take volumes on how they affect you mentally. Um, And then also from a Chinese nutrition standpoint that I sort of touched on before is foods looked at energetically. So it's not what nutrients are in a food. It's if it nourishes your liver, your spleen, your lungs, your kidneys, and if it's helping with qi, yin and yang, um, so if it's calming, energizing, so that's so I've combined the two, which kind of makes it unique, I think, is um, having th- both sides to it. So because um, one of the, the main theories in Chinese medicine is each emotion is attached to an organ and each organ has physical manifestations when it's imbalanced. So, for example, if you have issues with grief, it affects the lungs, which kind of makes sense, right? Because mm. crying in the lungs. Um, and if you don't process it, you can have skin issues. You can have issues with your immunity, asthma. I mean, that can go on and on, and it's it's all in here. But uh, And then if you don't deal with anger and resentment, it can lead to migraines, blood pressure issues, PMS, um, muscle tension and tightness. Mm. So um, each of the foods that I recommend in here, and of course it's all plant-based, it will either help with one organ or several and help with the emotions related to it. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And have you, what has your experience been with working with your patients with this? Like say somebody comes in, they've, they've, they've been on Prozac or Wellbutrin or whatever it is. They've been depressed for a long time. Uh, you know, have you worked through, uh, have you worked with people to get them off of these medications yes. and to the other side? Like, what is that oh, abs- about? It happens most of the time, but I do have a percentage of patients that stay on the medications either, even though they're feeling better because 
Either they're scared to try to live without them because, you know, some people have been on these medications for decades, which they're not meant to be used for anyway. It's, mm-hmm. They're meant to be used in emergency situations. Or their doctor or psychiatrist refuses. They're like, no, I don't care how much better you're feeling. You have to stay on these medications. So, and I get it. You know, we're sort of trained to think this, the medication is the only answer. Um, but most people, if... Uh, either come off their medications or at least reduce them. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the examples I have in the book is a woman, Wendy, who had, um, she was paranoid schizophrenic. She had a history of um, bulimia and anorexia and like lots of trauma in her life. Um, and she was on several medications, um, which, you know, I respected her decision and her psychiatrist psychiatrist decision because when she first got sick, she thought she was so paranoid. She thought literally every man was going to harm her sexually. Mm-hmm. So, you know, going, she was so scared of going back to that. So anyway, we reduced her medications. And at the, the slightest hint that she was getting anxious, that her doctor would raise everything back up again without waiting to see if things evened out. Mm-hmm. Nowhere near having a paranoid episode at all. Mm-hmm. So, um, but then there's people who come to me and they're on five medications and within six months they're... Um, they're off everything. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it that's totally really can cool. be done. So that's psychotropic medications, but also if you're on other medications like statins or whatever is going on with you. Well, what about people that, I mean, I think this gets into the sort of intersection of Chinese medicine and Western medicine and how these kind of two things can coexist uh, and work together in unison towards a towards a common goal as opposed to being at odds with each other. So if someone comes in to you and they have like they're a full-blown schizophrenic or they have, you know, extreme bipolar disorder, uh, you know, like really bad. Yes. I mean, how, have you dealt with cases like that? I mean, how does that, how do you manage something well, like that? Well, with them, they usually re- reduce their medications. I, and it's always with the consent of their doctor and them talking to their medical doctor because, and that's with any medications, I always say, Go to your MD, see what they have to say, because they'll know the best way to at least uh, wean you off of things. That's mm-hmm. not my area of expertise in any way. And I would hate for you um, to start um, going back to the way you were feeling pre-medication. So mm-hmm. always consult your doctor who prescribed to you. And But no, they all at least reduce their medications no matter how sick they are, because there's... Um, at least my clinical experience, and some people on here might not like this, but there's usually... There's usually um, an instance or instances that's led to sort of the cracking of the soul. Um, so I have patient Wendy in the book. I've changed some things about her, obviously, for anonymity. But she was um, molested growing up. She Her father beat her. And then she was raped by her her pastor. And that's what led to the paranoid, um, her being paranoid schizophrenic and her psychotic break. So it was like this buildup of things that, um, it's rare, at least in my clinical experience, I've never seen anyone just like, I had a great childhood and everything was perfect Mm -hmm. and no issues at all. My parents showed me all the love in the world and, you know, nothing really horrible ever Mm -hmm. happened to me. I've never seen that. So someone who is full-time psychiatrist or, um, treating um, addiction, because that's another thing I work with is addicts. Um, they might have different experience than me, but my clinical experience, everyone has, there's some really deep-rooted, ugly, quote-unquote, ugly stuff right. that uh, never got dealt with. Right, 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 right. So it's getting to the root. Yeah. Just like it's, it's, uh, 
it's similar to eating lower on the food chain. Yeah. You know, you got to get to the bottom of these things, right? <laughs> exactly. Instead of putting Band-Aids on them. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's fascinating. And and I'm also really intrigued and interested in your perspective on addiction. You know, I'm, I'm in recovery uh, and have been for many years, but, you know, I'm an addict. I'm a, I'm a recovering alcoholic and yeah. I always will be. And, you know... Most days I don't walk around obsessing about drugs and alcohol, but, you know, I have my moments and my cravings and this is something that I live with and I treat it through 12-step and, uh, you know, have been able to build an entire, you know, new life as a result of being sober. Um, But I'm interested in how you do what you do uh, can impact uh, sort of that addictive beast that lives within me? Um, <laughs> well, getting to, um, yes, it's something that you always have to work on one a day at a time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I would say with any addiction, acupuncture is amazing to help. I've never done it. Now I have to do it. Yeah, now you have yeah. to do it. It's amazing for helping if you're in the process of getting sober or have been sober for years helping just decompress, help you deal with whatever um, might be coming up for you through the recovery process. Because as I mentioned before, each point has a spiritual and emotional component to it. So say you, um, I know you were a drinker, right? Mm -hmm, Mostly. Yes. (laughs) So someone who's drinking um, might have issues with resentment, anger, frustration, um, and so, I don't know what that's about. Yeah, you don't know. No idea. <laughs> no clue. Let me ask, talk yeah. to your wife, right? Um, and hum, Hungry, angry. They call it halt. Hungry, hungry angry, angry, lonely, lonely tired. tired. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, dealing with those emotions through acupuncture, herbs, and food, um, so your body can start to release those suppressed memories and feelings. And sometimes I've had people have huge epiphanies during or within a few days of a treatment. I've Mm. had men, grown men break down sobbing during a treatment. I've had recently had a patient whose father died two months ago. His dad came into the room with him and held his hand while he was going through the treatment. I mean, it's, it can be really, really powerful Mm. stuff. Um, And I did part of my residency uh, at a drug rehab. Uh, Yeah, Exodus, right? Exodus, yes. That's an intense place. (laughs) Yeah, tell people what Exodus is like, because that's no joke. (laughs) Yes, well, Exodus at the time uh, was at Daniel Freeman Hospital, and it's most known, at least in my world, Kurt Cobain stayed there right before Mm -hmm. um, passing. And um, I don't know if they were offering acupuncture at the time, but... um, Had you been there? Yes, if I had been there, I could have saved Nirvana. Mm. <laughs> oh, what a dream. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Exodus is where people go to get off of drugs and alcohol. And I, would, I saw patients there who would drink a fifth of vodka before even leaving the house in the morning. I don't know how severe it got for you. People mm. who were spending $5,000 a day on cocaine, um, you know, people who've lost their jobs, their families, just really intense. But I also worked in their psychiatric unit, which... I think maybe should be combined with each other. Yeah, it should be. Yeah. And everyone that I treated who had gone and uh, through recovery before attempted getting sober before all said it had, it was the easiest process for them um, because acupuncture helps with the cravings. It helps Mm -hmm. detoxify the body faster. 
and also deals with any of the emotions that are coming up. So people who are newly sober have a lot of feelings. Yeah, of course. It comes on like a tidal wave because once you remove the... The block, yeah. you know, the thing that's suppressing <laughs> it, it, it becomes a big, you know, it yeah. becomes a big hot mess. Yes, a big hot mess. Yeah. So, and it was interesting because, you know, I dealt with uh, addiction in my family and um, personal relationships before, but working at this rehab, I really saw like it affects everyone. It doesn't matter what walk of life, what religion you are, how much money you have, none of that. It's across the board, everyone. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we're raised... Uh, in this culture to sort of judge addicts, um, just like what the, all the backlash with Robin Williams um, committing mm-hmm. suicide, all the judgment around that. But, um, you know, these are sometimes housewives who were given pain medication by their doctor and just kept prescribing and prescribing. So, you know, a year down the road, 10 years down the road, they're taking oxycodone like like uh, it's chewing gum. Right. So it's just, you know, it's not that like you're a bad person. It's just, this is how you deal with your pain. Mm-hmm. So the acupuncture and, and the sort of the herbs and what you do that, that, I mean, are you seeing that as like a cure or just a, another tool in the kind of recovery? Well, I hate to secure the addiction because I'd, I'd hate for someone to think, oh, I've been going to Heather for a year. Let me have a cocktail, mm-hmm. you know? So it's, re- you really need to know for yourself, but it definitely makes the process so much easier no matter how addicted to you were to whatever your drug or of choice or even, you know, sugar, like sugar is so highly right. addicting. So getting people off of that um, and living with it and not going back. So I'd like to say that I, I could cure it, but I've never suggested anyone trying. Right, like, right, right. Hey, yeah. I mean, on. yeah. I mean, I, I know, well, I resist the idea of, that, that I could be cured, yeah. you know, uh, it's more about how do I manage it and how yeah. do I, how do I suppress it while also, you know, well, surrendering to it surrendering and accepting, to it. Yeah. accepting that this is what it is and, yeah. and, and sort of walking through it. Yeah. I don't think it's ever a good idea. Like, Oh, let me just try it. It's like, you know, smokers like, Oh, I just thought I could have one cigarette. I was at a party mm-hmm. and then within a week they're back to two packs a day. It's just, Right. You know, why do that? But if you can make the whole situation easier and your cravings less intense, less often, you know, even, you know, I've, I've treated people who've been sober for 30 years and they're still like, I still think about having a drink. Right. So just easing that process. There is so much health information out there. It can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust. Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. 
an RRP favorite, and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. The next thing I want to talk about, which is the spiritual, I mean, for me, recovery is a spiritual practice, yes. right? It's, it's all about, you know, sort of believing in a higher power and all <laughs> these things that they teach you. But, but, uh, but, you know, I believe that, that, uh, the solution for me really is, is it's, it is spiritual. Um, and I know that, you know, uh, an aspect of what you do is also, uh, Vested in the spiritual. Yes. So what is your perspective on that and how do you counsel your patients? Well, I don't bring it up until I gauge where they're at um, with their religious beliefs or non-beliefs because I never would want to push what I'm thinking and feeling on anyone, mm. especially not in a professional situation. Um, but And I've gotten over the years a sense of like, okay, this person goes to church every Sunday or right. this person observes Shabbat. So I have to, you know, whatever it is, like I need to kind of work around what their beliefs are. Um, so if it seems like I can talk to them at their level um, or what their belief system is, then then I will. Um, and so, and if I sense that they're open, if they ask me questions, I never mention it because I'm I consider myself Buddhist. Um, but I don't just like say, Hey, I'm Buddhist. Welcome to my office. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, <laughs> I don't do that. But if patients are curious and I also, I think I've gotten good at gauging, uh, if people are even open to talking about their mental health and their past and everything, but everyone gives me clues where they are emotionally. So even if they're not really open to talking to me about what happened to them when they were six years old or mm -hmm. the fighting that's going on at home, uh, with their spouse or whatever whatever it is, then I, I still get clues from what they say and also what their symptoms are. Because like as I said before, each emotion can manifest physically. Um, and that usually becomes really obvious to me within just 10 minutes of talking to someone. Right, right, right. Yeah, I just read an article uh, this morning um, and it was uh, about how this neuroscience student um, is conducting these experiments uh, on the relationship between meditation and mindfulness and mental disorders. And essentially the, the, the takeaway is that by practicing mindfulness, you can eradicate a lot of these mental disorders down to the biological, like cellular level. I guess he's a, he, what is he? I wrote it down here. Um, I think he's at U, uh, UMass medical school. Uh, and he had, um, how is it? Uh, what is it? I'm trying to. I'm looking at my notes here. That uh, that this this practice of mindfulness and meditation can trigger mental and even genetic alterations and molecular changes, which is pretty. I mean, if that's true, you know. Oh. I mean, it's like I didn't read the actual study, but <laughs> but just just positing that is is really powerful. And well, I think it's yeah. Go ahead. It makes sense because every time we feel something, whether it's positive or negative. I hate to use those terms, but that's how people relate to mm -hmm. anger, hate, love, joy, whatever it is. We, we, we create new neurons and synapses in our brain. So it makes sense 
that if we're conscious of how we're thinking, we can stop that process. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it all goes back to this idea that we all have so much more power and control over ourselves than than we think we do or that we've been led to believe, yeah. right? That if we make alterations in what we eat and you know how we navigate through our day to minimize anxiety and these practices like meditation and the kind of foods that we're eating and you know being open to things like acupuncture that we can really address the root cause of so many of these chronic ailments that are just killing us by the millions. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the mental the mental aspect is a huge and emotional aspect is a huge part of why we're sick. Mm-hmm. And we're sick as a nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But people don't they don't wanna they don't wanna change. No. Heather. No, it's scary you know. to look at your junk. <laughs> it's so, really scary. Like, I would imagine most people that come to see you, like maybe they're it depends on how much pain they're in, I suppose. When they're in a lot people are more motivated to make changes when they're in a lot of pain. Oh, but, yeah. but if they're not quite there yet, like maybe they're enthusiastic for a short period of time, but you know, they just lapse back into whatever they were doing. Oh, they, that happens a lot. And I have, it's, I don't, I can't tell you the percentage, but I get a sense of people stopping coming to see me because they're making changes and they can't be attached to their ailment or their past the way they used to be. Mm-hmm. So they stop coming in mm-hmm. because it's, you know, we, it's part of our identity when we're sick. Right. Or they, if they've lapsed, lapsed back into bad habits, then they're in a shame spiral and they don't want to face yeah. you. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I always <laughs> say, you're laughing, yeah. but I do try to, and I hope I come across with my patients that I'm not judging them because I've, you know, I want I'm sure you're not, but I'm, it's what's I'm, in their head, yeah. not your head. Well, I, you know, like I gave, it took me 20 years of being vegetarian to finally give up dairy. And it's, you know, it's a little shameful for me, but I was so hooked in and I ashamed. would- I would go sometimes six months, you know, without it. And then like, oh, the pool would come back. So I get it. I've been there and mm-hmm. other parts of my life too, but that's the most obvious one um, that I'm willing to share with people anyway. Right. So it's, uh, you know, we've all done it. We're human. We're going to make mistakes a million times a day. And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever it is that you consider a bad habit or a bad way to respond to things, like, you know, it's all right. It's a, it's a learning process. Yeah, we're, we hold on to this this uh, illusion of perfection too strongly. Yeah. You know, nobody's perfect. Nobody. And we don't give ourselves permission to fail. You yeah. know, it's like it's not okay to mess up. And of course, you know, we don't want to mess up. We don't want to make mistakes. But I think we'd be better off if we could just give ourselves a little bit of a wider berth, you know, because... You only move forward when you when you give yourself permission to to falter, you know, and that applies to everything. Whether you're an athlete training for you know uh, your sport or a race or an event, or you're a writer, like if you're a writer and you're trying to write, you got to let yourself write bad before it's going to be good. <laughs> you know, if you think if 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 you're putting so much pressure on yourself that every letter you t- every word you type has to be the the ultimate word, you're yeah. never going to do anything, right? You just no. you're paralyzed. Yeah, and I, I've had so many people, and you've probably gotten this too, being an author, like, oh my God, I've always wanted to write a book, but, and it's definitely, it's very vulnerable writing a book, mm-hmm. I think, and yeah. letting it all, the world to see, yeah, you know, what I'm about. Of course, yeah. but but there's power in the vulnerability, yeah. you know, ultimately, uh, you know, and I've said this before, like, I, you know, I knew that my book would only work if I was willing to be vulnerable, you yeah. know, if you're not, what's the point? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you've got to be able to be honest and authentic to who you are. 
And that's very frightening. Yeah. You know, it's very frightening. And I think that, you know, using the analogy of the book or the metaphor of being a writer, um, <clears throat> yeah, a lot of people say, I'd love to write a book or I have an idea for a book, but then they never do anything because yeah. it's too frightening, you know, or it's just, it, it just seems too impossible. Whereas if you could just forget about all of that and just, why don't you just write a sentence today? Or, you know what I mean? Like write <laughs> yeah. one page a day. And then a year from now, maybe you might have something that might resemble a book. Yeah, And exactly. take, take all of the pressure off of yourself and just focus on the moment. Yeah, and just like eating, eat, it's eating healthier. You know, today I'm not going to have any animal products. Today I'm not going to have any sugar. Today. Or just maybe this meal yeah, or in the next exactly. hour. I know what I'm going to be eating, you know, in a half an hour. And just not, don't worry about the rest of it. Exactly. It's the same with recovery. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to take a drink at lunch today. Hopefully not. <laughs> you know? Maybe I haven't had lunch yet. But right now I'm not drinking. So that's good. good. Uh, yeah. Or, uh, you know, I had this guy, Tim Van Orden, on the podcast the other week. Yes, and I know Tim. You know Tim? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's wonderful. Yeah. And he was talking about breaking habits uh, that don't serve you. And he was using the analogy of, you know, getting, a, you know, trying to get out of bed to go running when it's freezing out and he doesn't want to get out of bed. And just, you know, the it just seems overwhelming. It's just easier to stay in bed, but just like, okay, I'm just going to sit up in bed. I'm going to do that. You yeah. know, breaking things down into their, you know, micro parts. That's make smart. Them digestible. Especially living in, he's in Vermont, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think he's going to be moving back here soon. Uh, okay. He was out here a couple of weeks ago, and nice. I think he's got a little California, California bug his blood again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's applicable to everything: eating habits, recovery, creative yeah. projects. Yeah. Uh, and and just, it goes back to mindfulness, right? The more mindful you can be, the more anchored in the moment you are, and then it releases that anxiety, and it 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 helps you not live in a future outcome or, or the past. wallowing in some past. Yeah. Right? Yeah, exactly. So just letting it go. Mm -hmm. So um, <clears throat> if somebody's listening and they don't live in California, so they can't call you up and make an appointment. Well, they uh, can. They can? Phone, I oh, do you phone do phone consult. stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay, good. Well, we'll make sure we have all the information. But let's just say somebody, just, just to give some people some general, like obviously you can't diagnose, you need to sit with somebody and look them in the eyes and tell them that they have adrenal fatigue. Like <laughs> <laughs> but what are some of the most common things that, that you see that maybe you could impart some wisdom to people who are listening you know, just typical people living their lives who are maybe, you know, not getting enough rest and stressed out, maybe don't eat as great as they should, you know, just the average person. What are some simple things that kind of across the board that anybody could benefit from? Drink more water. That's mm -hmm. first. Every single one of my patients doesn't drink enough water when they first come see me. Um, and how, mu how much water should we be drinking, really? <laughs> well, I'd say on average, as a general rule of thumb, half your weight in ounces. Mm. So if you weigh 140 pounds, 70 ounces of water. Um, and that's give or take with how much you're exercising, if you're having coffee, soda, or alcohol to dehydrate you. But at least half your weight in ounces uh, is a good, a good rule of thumb. And adding lemon uh, or raw apple cider vinegar to your water mm -hmm. gives an added benefit. I know there's a, you have to acquire, acquire and a taste yes. to the apple cider vinegar. Yeah, it's but, like drinking uh, Easter eggs. <laughs> but lemon, lemon uh, makes it taste better. So if you're used to think sweetened drinks or sodas, 
um, adds some flavor, but also helps with the absorption of water. It's a mini detoxifier. Lemons are calming. It's very alkalizing. Yes. Alkalizing. And people always say to me, well, how could it be alkalizing? Because these are acids. Yeah, it's how our bodies. I have an answer to this, but please elaborate. (laughs) I was just going to say, it doesn't matter how it tastes. It's how our body absorbs and metabolizes the food. So something as acidic as raw apple cider vinegar or lemon is actually alkaline in nature. So you want to do as many foods alkaline as possible. Mm-hmm. And you want to add to that? Uh, no, that was just going to, it's alkaline forming. Yes. yes. They are acids, but for whatever reason that I don't understand, it has an alkalizing effect yes. on your system. Um, and I'm a firm believer in this idea of eating, you know, alkaline forming food. I mean, overall, a plant-based diet is predominantly alkaline forming. Not every plant food is, yes. is alkaline forming, but on the whole, it is. And when you're eating, you know, these these alkaline forming foods, that's very anti-inflammatory. And they're starting to understand that so many of these chronic illnesses are related to inflammation. The, the less, you know, the, the less inflamed we are, the more likely we are to sidestep some of these. Yep. There is a kind of counterpoint uh, out there that says, oh, that's all nonsense. All this alkaline acid stuff is not, I don't believe this, but I, I know that it. there are other people saying that. So yep. I was interested in. Well, that's, we have the proof Americans are really sick and they're eating, if not everything acidic, pretty much everything is acidic that they're eating. There's, there's, mm-hmm. so that's, that to me, if you don't want to believe it, if one person or one study contradicts that, it's like, look, look at how Americans are. We're all overweight. We're sick. We're miserable in many ways. We're in pain and, mm-hmm. you know, we're eating for the, you know, most Americans are eating acidic foods. So that to me, I, I don't understand. Yeah, and, the, and, and stress contributes to yes. this sort of inflammation and the, the acidic nature of your... And it's, it's not that you become acidic. It's, yeah. the, it's that your body has to work really hard to bring that pH balance down to exactly. slightly alkaline, like just shy of neutral, I yes. guess, right? Yes. And that takes a toll on your body. It leaches minerals out of your bones and, yep. you know. One of the reasons that osteoporosis yeah. is so high in this country is because the acid forming foods that everyone's consuming. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're eating tons of dairy and that's just proves to me that dairy is not the best option, but. Uh, right. Animal foods, dairy, processed foods are all very acid forming and that ends up leaching the calcium out of your bones. So ironically, uh, dairy consumption is actually contributing to osteoporosis, yes. which is the opposite of what we've been told. Yes, mm-hmm. indoctrinated with. <laughs> In what? Indoctrinated with that yeah. message. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's one thing. And I, I encourage people to try something new every week. Um, don't overwhelm yourself unless you have that personality. And I think Rich, Rich is one of those people just going 100% all in mm-hmm. is saying, okay, this week I'm going to try kale for the first time and just see what I can do with it. If I like it, try different recipes. And then next week, have a smoothie every day and see how you feel and just start to incorporate healthier options. And the more you do that, the less the unhealthy foods are going to be appealing. You're going to see how much better you're feeling. Um, And I also recommend trying to uh, let go of something that isn't serving you, whether it's um, an action or a food or some lifestyle choice, a person, a relationship um, every week to month and Mm -hmm. just giving that up. So whatever works best for you, do it to a point where you feel 
you know, some pressure, but not overwhelmed. Because when you're overwhelmed, that's why one of the reasons extreme diets never work on top of most of them being really unhealthy is because you feel overwhelmed and deprived and starving. And Mm -hmm. of course, it's not going to last. Yeah, that's great advice. Uh, You know, I always try to encourage people to not look at it from a deprivation point of view, as opposed to focusing on all the things that you're removing. Just focus on the things that you're adding in, like you said, like the kale or the smoothie and try to get excited about these new things. Don't worry about what you're not eating. Focus on on what you are bringing in, yeah. like the, the abundance that you're bringing in. Yeah, and it's just think how lucky we are that we can have these options. Like, oh my God, I get to go to the farmer's market and, and pick out the most beautiful, delicious, juicy pear tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, like that's, that's really exciting to and me. W- <laughs> and when you say, uh, oh, you know, when you start eating these healthy foods and you feel good, then you're not going to crave those uh, as much. You will not crave as much those foods that are making you feel lousy. People like are like, yeah, yeah, right. But well, it's, uh, it's, that was my experience. It's like mine once too. I started eating these foods, I, oh my God, I feel so good. Like I just want to feel good all the time. So I'm going to gravitate towards those foods that make, yeah. that doesn't mean I don't crave, you know, these other things. Of course I do, but I feel more, uh, I have more energy behind making a better choice because I know you, you, you really become, um, innately familiar with the equation between the food you're eating and how you feel. Well, I'm a living example too. I mean, I grew up McDonald's. I had half a pound of bacon every Sunday. I still get Mm -hmm. teased by family members for that memory. Um, soda, lucky charms for breakfast. Like I had, I had something sugary at least three times a day. Uh, Wonder Bread with bologna and peanut butter was mm-hmm. one of my staples for lunch. And the thought of any of that bologna is Bologna and peanut butter. <laughs> I know. I don't know if it's a white trash thing or what, but that was what I loved. I had bologna and ketchup. <laughs> <laughs> so, and then the thought of any of those foods now, just I, I just could never go back. And it's not mm-hmm. just because I know they're not good for me. I just have no, absolutely no interest in them at all. Right. So you got to, you got to, you know, blaze the path a little bit before you can get to that place. But, and you know, you should trust though, that it will happen. And a lot of that, I think also happens with the change in the microbiome, you know, as you start eating these healthy foods, the, the nature of that ecology in your gut starts to change and that impacts your cravings, believe it or not, it really does. It has a strong impact on your, your brain chemistry. So it only makes sense that you're going to crave different things, the the happier your your belly is. That's right. Very good. <laughs> so fix your mood with food. What else is in the book that we haven't talked about? Well, uh, there are lots of case studies. So I hinted on that. And I give a brief description at the beginning, just a few chapters on what Chinese medicine is. Um, I don't get into too many specifics because I don't want to overwhelm the reader with too much information that they're never mm-hmm. going to use later, but it's more, and you don't need to remember it to understand the rest of the book, but it's more just to make people see it's not that weird. It's not that out there. It actually makes perfect sense. Um, And then I have a a section, this third section is all a long list of different foods um, broken up into categories like legumes, um, seeds, fruit, vegetables, and how they help your mood from a Chinese standpoint and how they help from a Western standpoint. And then I'll give um, a suggestion, not a full recipe, but a suggestion on how I like to eat these foods. Mm-hmm. And then 
at the very end, I give some tips on how to keep going. So once you have all this information, like, okay, now I know this and there's, I need support in some way. So, you know, finding other people to do this with is a great one. And again, you know, slowly adding new things and, um, at the very end, there's easy to follow charts. So now you have this, this information like, okay, I know I'm going to be really anxious about a job interview next week. What foods can I eat to support, mm-hmm. support me so I'm less anxious? Mm-hmm. Not, it's not to numb you in any way, but just to support you. So when you walk in there, you're not about to pass out because you've... You're so anxious right, about it. Right, it's very practical, mm-hmm. like sort of applications of yeah. this. So women who are going to suffering PMS, PMS, like, okay, I know it's and that's going to start happening in the next few days. What foods can I eat? So I'm not acting like a raving maniac. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Uh, what is the... What is the um, kind of overlap or distinction between Chinese medicine and Ayurveda? Well, there's similar. Yes, because there's well, there's five elements in Chinese medicine, and Ayurveda has three vata, vata, and what's the third one? I'm totally drawing a blank. Vata, pitta, uh, no, not dosha. Dosha is the is the name for the three of them. Okay. Anyway, um, but they since they come from the same part of the world, and it's it's debatable on which um, medicine came first, and there is. I've learned a little bit about Ayurveda and there is some overlap with herbs, but I haven't, mm-hmm. I haven't done enough because I, there's so much I can do just with Chinese medicine to add Ayurveda. I think it would just, my brain would explode. So, but there is some overlap, but there is the theory of balancing the elements and nourishing and detoxification and all those things are, are similar. Yeah, I mean, the idea is the same, that the body is complex and needs to be in balance mm-hmm. and these various And look at the whole that, body. Yeah, and look at the whole body and using, using herbs and dietary protocol and yeah. like lifestyle choices to bring that into better balance. Yeah, so. and I can say Ayurveda, I was, when I was in India, um, I was there during monsoon season, so I developed this horrible cough from being exposed to rain every day for 30 days. Um, and I went to an Ayurvedic doctor and he, um, he said I had a fever of 103. Wow. <laughs> and I was, I was pretty sick and I was so sick. I didn't realize it. But anyway, he's like, okay, I'll give you some herbs today. Cause I explained to him, you know, what I did for a living and it was important to try to do it naturally. And he goes, if you're not, if you're not better by tomorrow, then I'm putting you on medication. And within 12 hours, I was feeling better. Wow. So what, I know what did Ayurveda. You? No, I, I was, I have no That's idea. That's the thing. Like <laughs> my wife, you know, she healed herself of a, a thyroglossal duct cyst on her neck um, on an Ayurvedic protocol. Yeah. But she was seeking the advice of an Ayurvedic doctor and he would give her these herbs and in and, and these little baggies, you know, yeah. they weren't labeled. And I was like, <laughs> what is this stuff? It smelled terrible, yeah. you know. So, I have no uh, idea what I took. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just kind of scary. Right. But I mean, they understand vegetarian at least. So I'm like, I'm veg. He's like, okay. So there he was... He got that part. Yeah, he got that part. So he wasn't giving you like eyeballs or <laughs> something like that, <laughs> no, right? I hope not. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it's intense. I mean, Chinese. I have some friends that that are studying Chinese medicine, and you know, it's super hardcore. Like mm-hmm. they're studying their butts off for yeah. like years. You know, it's very, very intense. Yeah, I went to school. Graduate school for me was four and a half years of classes with a year and a half residency, mm-hmm. which I was able to do while I was still taking classes at the end. Um, about five thousand hours of class 
last time. And the license for California is as hard as taking the bar. They only pass about 55% of the people who take wow. it. So I studied full-time for four months, um, and I had three study groups on top for of that, that. For the To take the, the exam. exam mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, because I, I do get asked, less and less often now, but I do get asked if I went to school for this. I'm like, well, I am a physician, so I would hope, <laughs> I would hope that I had mm-hmm. to go to school for this. And, um, but it's, it's definitely challenging. It's half Western medicine. So I know, I know how to, um, I can actually prescribe blood work and x-rays and I know how to read the results. Um, I had to take tons of anatomy and physiology, Mm -hmm. chemistry, biochemistry, physiology. And then this other half is learning about the point locations, what they do, um, herbs, Chinese nutrition, and all the different modalities. I didn't get to go into all of them, but gua sha and cupping and Twina and Qigong and all those things that come we'll along with it. We'll have to come back and we can get into it in more detail. <laughs> sure. What is the perception uh, of of Chinese medicine practitioners by traditional Western doctors? And it's, I mean, is it it's improving for sure? They're starting to see. Oh, my patients are getting better, um, but there's still this idea that what they do, they know more than um, doctors of Chinese medicine. Somehow that that MD title, and again, not all of them are like this, but that gives them somehow that they're smarter and know more than me. Um, but it's definitely improving. And I have like I have oncologists referring to me now, which is definitely a big deal. Well, that's been that's going cool. on for a while. But um, yeah, they're seeing the results. And actu- actually, some MDs are even incorporating acupuncture into their clinics um, the only thing is I can say if you go to an MD who does acupuncture, MDs in the U.S. don't actually have to go to acupuncture school at right. all. So find out if they've even taken classes because <laughs> mm-hmm. they, they won't hurt you, but mm-hmm. um, hopefully, but they won't give you the best possible results because you really, like I said, almost 5,000 hours of schooling and uh, MDs sometimes will take a weekend course, but there's no certification for right, them at right. all. So. So if somebody is looking for uh, a Chinese medicine uh, practitioner like yourself, Chinese medicine doctor or an acupuncturist in their area, is there like a website where people can find out who the legit people are? Well, there's... How does... um, For people that are listening who want to learn more and maybe seek out the counsel of someone like yourself near where they live. Um, Well, there there is... Uh, a national licensing program. It's it's separate from California because California is going to be the the toughest way to get licensed. Um, I don't know their exact URL, um, but if you just put National Acupuncture Association, it'll come up and it should have a list of all the acupuncturists that are licensed that take that for the states that take that licensing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for California, you can look up everyone who's licensed in the state of California and New York has their own licensing exam in a few, a few other states. And, you know, ask friends, neighbors, colleagues, if they've ever done it, who they like. And if you don't know anyone that's that has done it, um, Yelp isn't 100% guaranteed you'll get the best mm-hmm. results, even though they have a lot of positive reviews. Um, but that is the, another option. And I do say to everyone who's asked me, do you know someone here or how do I get a referral? Um, if you're not happy with that first person you go to, try a second acupuncturist because mm-hmm. we're all very different and have different ways of looking at a patient, different ways of interacting with the patient. 
So if that first experience doesn't blow you away, um, you know, if, if, they're, if it's so-so, give them a few times. But if you're just like, oh, no, this isn't the right person for me or that hurt too much, go to try right. someone don't, new. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes, because acupuncture does not need to hurt. Um, some acupuncturists um, can be very aggressive with how they put in needles. But mm -hmm. my, all my patients pretty much fall asleep during a treatment. So that's how easy it is and relaxing it is. So um, if you get someone that's like, ah, you're screaming and then try something else. <laughs> Not a good idea. Right? Yeah. All right. All right, cool. Well, uh, we got to wrap it up here. Okay. But this was delightful. It was fun. Thank you, Heather. Yeah. It was very informative and uh, I enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks for having me. I think we did me. it. How do you feel? I feel great. Feel all right? <laughs> you say everything you want to say? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, there's always more, but right. no, that's enough for today. Cool. <laughs> Um, well, if you're digging on Heather, the first thing to do is to pick up her book called Fix Your Mood with Food, available everywhere. Use the Amazon banner ad at richroll.com, of course, which helps us out and helps yes. Heather out and helps get the healthy message out to the world, right? Yes. And if you want to connect with Heather, the best place to do that is her, her website is livenaturallivewell.com. Right. Yes. And on Twitter, you're Doc Heather at yes. Doc Heather. <laughs> Where else you have a I'm Facebook, Facebook page? is Doc Heather and the number one. Mm -hmm. And Pinterest, I think I'm one Doc Heather. I couldn't get oh, you get, get your, in you time. Get your brand, branding sorted out. I know, but it was <laughs> there was I didn't get them in time, unfortunately. And I mm. was thinking, okay, if I have to have the one, have it at the end. But someone had already taken it, so right. Yes, and there's someone with. I tried to get. Um, uh, the web address, Doc Heather. I mean, I love Live Natural, Live Well, but a plastic surgeon has Doc Heather really? as their website. So oh, Shameful. Yes, it's all right. Yeah. All right. Well, you could, uh, well, we could talk about that. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks so much. It was great talking to you. Thanks for having me. Peace. Plants. All right. Well, there you go. I mean, there's a few things to think about as you approach your next meal, as you get ready to head out on that grocery store expedition. I got a ton out of that. I hope you did too. I'm sure lots of you out there are navigating New Year's resolutions around diet and nutrition and setting goals for yourself. And hopefully, Heather filled in some of the gaps uh, for you and inspired you to take your program to the next level. Uh, don't forget to check out the show notes uh, for this episode so you can continue the learning. Lots of what Heather talked about. There's hyperlinks to further information so you can so you can expand your educational experience that this podcast has offered you. On a similar note, I got a few things to say on the subject of plant-based nutrition and goal setting and goal achieving. In fact, I've got a couple online courses on just these very subjects. The first is called The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. The second is called The Art of Living with Purpose. Both of these courses are available at mindbodygreen.com. They're both multiple hours of streaming video content. They both have tons of awesome downloadable tools and they feature interactive online communities. Basically, everything that you need to dial up your dietary regimen, your nutrition, everything you need to get more plants into your active life and everything you need to set yourself on a new and healthier nutrition trajectory and also, God forbid, to probe deep inside you to learn more about what makes you tick so that you can set the right goals for yourself and then take those goals across the finish line and ultimately 
my goal for you is to simply raise the bar on your personal and athletic, but mainly your personal life experience. So if you want to find out more about those courses, just go to mindbodygreen.com, click on video courses at the top of the homepage. It's all there. For all your plant power provisions, go to richworld.com. We got new t-shirts. We got the cool tech t-shirts for running, for going to the gym. They're sweet. We got a new t-shirt design. It's a California license plate uh, motif. So go there and check it out. T-shirts are in limited supply, so get them while they're hot. And don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter so you can stay clued in to what's what. And if you've been enjoying the show, hit us up with a review on iTunes and check out the iOS app to access the entire podcast catalog. What else? What else? Oh, I know. Hey, I'm enjoying doing this Q&A thing. This extra show a week has been super fun. I'm really digging it. I want to keep the momentum going. I want to keep the flow going. So please keep sending those questions. If there's something you want me to talk about, you want me to address, write it out and send it to me and uh, we'll put it in the hopper and hopefully uh, you'll get your question answered. Thank you, Tyler Pyatt, for production, audio engineering, music, and sound design on today's show. Thank you, Chris Swan, for additional production and editorial support. Thank you, Sean Patterson, for all the awesome graphic art that goes along with each episode. Thank you, guys. See you next week. Peace. Plants, 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 plants.